38th regular meeting of the Medford City Council will not come to order. Clerk Hardeby's, please call the roll. Council Bears. Present. Vice President Carabiello. Present. Council Knight. Present. Council Morell. Present. Council Marks. Present. I'm sorry, I skipped Council Marks. So Council Marks. Uh, Council Scarpelli. Present. President Falco. Present. All seven members are present. At this point in time, I'd ask everyone to please rise to salute the flag. I pledge allegiance to, to the flag of the United States of America, America to the republic for which it stands, one nation, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the Open Meeting Law, General Law Chapter 38, Section 18, on the Governor's March 15, 2020 order imposing strict limitation on the number of people that may gather in one place. This meeting of the Memphis City Council will be conducted via remote participation to the greatest extent possible. Specific information and general guidelines for remote participation by members of the public and or parties with the right and or requirement to attend this meeting can be found on the City, city of Medford website at www.medfordma.org. For this meeting, members of the public who wish to listen or watch the meeting may do so by accessing the meeting link contained herein. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings in real time via technological means. In the event that we are unable to do so, Despite best efforts, we will post on the City of Medford or Medford Community Media website an audio or video recording transcript or other comprehensive record of the proceedings as soon as possible after the meeting. Hearings. Do we have a this? Uh, I believe so, yeah. <clears throat> yep, this is National Grid Engineer. Hearings, legal notice 620-673. Petition for grant of location. National Grid and Verizon, North Andover, Massachusetts, locations of poles, wires, and fixtures, Medford, Massachusetts, City Clerk's Office. You are hereby notified by, that by order of the Medford City Council, the Medford City Council will hold a pu uh, public hearing via Zoom on Tuesday, December 22, 2020. A link to be posted no later than Friday. Hello, guys. I can't hear any of you. It looks like all of you guys are on mute. This is Sterling from National Grid. Yeah, President Fabio, it looks like we temporarily lost the chamber sound, but it seems like they're back on. We're good now. Can you hear me? Yes. I think the, the chamber, the council chambers, they weren't, it was not in the Zoom room for a, a moment, but it looks like it's back. Back. Yeah, I hear everyone now. Thank you. Okay. Um, I'm going to let uh, Abdel Nabat give someone yeah, handling excuse this. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll, uh, I have to read the meeting notice, and then at that point, I will recognize you, and we will begin the I'm so sorry. Okay. No worries. Thank you. Uh, you are hereby notified that by order of the Medford City Council, the Medford City Council will hold a public hearing via Zoom on Tuesday, December 22nd, 2020, a link to be posted no later than Friday, December 8th, 2020, on a petition of Massachusetts Electrical Company, DBA, National Grid, and Verizon, New England, for permission to locate poles, wires, and fixtures, including necessary sustaining and protecting fixtures along and across the public way or ways, herein named said poles, wires, and fixtures to be located substantially in accordance with the plan marked Mitchell Ave, Medford, Massachusetts, and filed in the office of the city clerk. 
wherever it prays that after due notice and hearing as provided by law it be granted a location for and permission to erect and maintain poles and wires together with sustaining and protecting fixtures as it may find necessary said poles to be erected substantially in accordance with the plan filed uh, herewith marked Mitchell Ave, Medf Medford, Massachusetts and available for inspection. In the office of the city clerk, Medford City Hall, room 10385, George P. Hassett Drive, Medford, Massachusetts, 02155. The following are the streets and highways referred to. Mitchell Ave, National Grid to install one J.O. pole on Mitchell Ave, beginning at a point approximately 14 feet east of the center line. Install one new jo joint pole, P2818, approximately 60 feet northeast of existing pole P3817 near 93 Mitchell Ave. Location approximately as shown on, pl on plan filed in the office of the city clerk. This was approved by the city engineer with the following conditions. The engineering division recommends that this grant of location be approved with the following conditions. Number one, the grant of location is limited to this one joint owned J.O. pole as described in the petition. National grid to install one J.O. pole on Mitchell Ave beginning at a point approximately 14 feet east of the center line. Install one new joint pole P3818 approximately 60 feet northeast of the existing pole P3817 and 93 Mitchell Avenue. Number two, before starting work, the contractor shall notify Dig Safe and shall obtain all applicable permits for the engineering division. The project must obtain a street opening permit pursuant to section 74-141 of the city ordinances prior to commencing work. Number three, no other utility structures, conduits, duct banks, pipes, or any other apparatuses are adversely impacted. National Grid shall ensure that all sewer drain in all sewer water and drain lines are marked prior to any excavation. Number four, the new pole location is located within the furniture zone of the concrete sidewalk. Any disturbance of the curb to curb concrete backing must be repaired to the satisfaction of the city engineer. The sidewalk panel must be replaced in kind in the pole surrounded by an expansion joint. Number five, the project must be swept daily and shall be kept free of debris for the duration of the installation. Approved by the superintendent of wires, call 781-393-2425 for any uh, accommodations and or aids. Plans can be viewed in the city clerk's office, 781-393-2425, uh, Adam L. Herdeby's city clerk. At this point in time, I would open up the uh, public hearing to those in favor of the petition. Is there anyone with us tonight that is in favor of the petition that would like to speak? So we have, um, there was someone from Verizon, right? Oh, okay, so let's see, National Grid, I'm sorry. Hello everyone, this is Sterling uh, Ortiz from National Grid. Uh, Abdel Abad is also an engineer for National Sterling has been unmuted and used to, there was some one what the one other person I believe oh again okay it looks like everyone's frozen it's on Abdel Wahed Nabad Sterling can you hear us 
switch the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, uh, Sterling, can you hear us? No. Thanks, Sterling. Sterling, your voice is changed. West Coast and Sterling? Sterling? Abdelawad? Sterling, can you hear me? <coughs> Councillor Morell, can you hear me? I can hear you now, yeah. It looks like we lost the, the chambers again, and now they're back. Okay. So, uh, let's see. So, we have... Abdel Wahed Nabit. Okay. Here on behalf of National Grid Electric at 170 Medford Street, Malden. And I'm here tonight to request permission to install a joint owned pole between National Grid and Verizon New England. The pole will be installed on Mitchell Avenue. A lot of static, not sure if you heard that. Uh, yes, we did hear that. So you are in favor of the okay. you are in favor of the petition. Yes. Is there anybody else in yeah. favor of the uh, petition that would like to speak at this point? Okay, hearing and seeing none, this portion of the hearing is closed. Is there anyone in opposition of the petition that would like to speak? Anyone in opposition? Okay, hearing and seeing none, I declare this portion of the hearing closed. Are there any questions from the council regarding this petition? Council Knight. Um, does the petitioner have a rendering uh, that would indicate how close to the nearest driveway apron uh, this pole will be located? Uh, Councilman, I believe this pole is to, is to be installed away from any driveway. Um, at the moment, I don't have um, the drawing, and uh, I believe this, so this pole is actually to accommodate for the building of a new house that's going up on Mitchell Avenue. I, I believe the address is 88 Mitchell Avenue. Okay, so this is um, an additional pole, like at the end of the line per se, say the street ended and this is gonna be a pole at the end of the street? Yes, that would yes, Mr. Constant. Further provide electricity to uh, our, uh, I guess it would be electric and phone services? Yes, Council. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Council Knight. Any other questions from the Council? Yes, sir, President. Council Scarpelli. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. This is a quick question. I, this, when it says double, it's not two poles, correct? No, it is not. Okay, we just want to make sure because I know we've had issues. It's a single pole. Okay, I know we've had issues in the past with. Uh, double poles are still waiting for um, some relief and taking a few down in the community. So just wanted to make sure so the constituents that are listening uh, don't misunderstand that there is two poles, so it's only one. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Council Scarpelli. Any other questions from the Council? Just one, Mr. President. Council Knight. Um, upon approval, when will the construction commence and how long will it take? <laughs> I believe... Um, when it will start is a little further away, but once it gets started, we're, we're there until we're finished. And uh, installing a pole can be as quick as a couple of hours. And sometimes it could be five, six hours at the most. 
including the digging of uh, the, uh, the sidewalk, if there's any sidewalks. So overall, construction can be no more than five hours, I would say. It's less than a full day? All right, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. President. I'm satisfied. I have no problem supporting this paper this evening. Thank you, Council Knight. Any Mr. other questions from the Council? Mr. President. Councilor Marks. Just a clarification. Uh, on the legal notice that was sent, it says that uh, new joint pole P2818. And then if you look at the schematic, it says P3818. So on the legal notice on the first page, it says poll 2818, and then the schematic says 3818. Mr. Councilman, I believe that is just an error. The poll that is going to be installed, it will be numbered 3818, and it is 60 feet northeast of poll 3817. So, so it appears that there will be a pole 3817 looks like it's on the property line of 97 and 93 Mitchell. Yep. And then pole 3818 looks like it's on the property line of zero Mitchell, which is probably what, a vacant lot. It is where the new house will be installed. I believe it has already, they broke ground there. And it looks like it's going to be the new reference point between house 93 and and the uh, lot 88. Okay. Is that common to have telephone poles that close? So this is a GO pole that is between Medford, uh, between, it's, it's in Medford where Medford allows for a pole to accommodate for telephone as well as for uh, national grid equipment to be installed on the poles. Will this pole have a street light on it? I think that when it comes to street lights, I believe the street lights are owned by the city of Medford. And uh, when they do want street lights installed on poles, they can reach to national grid. As of right now, this pole does not include any street lighting. And I'm not sure whether the city of Medford requested the owner of lot 88 to install any street lights when building the house. Okay. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, Council. Thank you, Council Marks. Council Knight. Uh, Mr. President, I didn't realize that we had a copy of the rendering in our package. As I went through it, I bypassed that. Um, and in looking at the rendering, if we look at number 93 Mitchell Avenue, on each side of the property line, there is a existing, there will be a telephone pole and then we'll be putting a new pole in. Now, unless that house doesn't have a driveway or the driveway goes right down the middle of the property, it looks like this pole is gonna be very close to the driveway at 93 Mitchell Avenue, should they have one. And I'd hate to get into a situation where we approve a pole to go up in a location where if we move it five or six feet one direction or the other, we would improve someone's access to their drive. Is the city engineer on the call by any chance, Mr. President? 
Um, I do not see him on the call. Okay. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Council Knight. Are there any other questions from the Council? Mr. President? Council Marks. I'm sure the uh, abutters were notified as well, correct? Council Clerk Herbees has notified me that the abutters were notified. Three neighbors? Yeah. Oh, okay, I see. Trust. Yeah. Two trusts and one. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Motion for approval, Mr. President. On the motion of Council Marks to approve, seconded by Council Scarpelli, Clerk Hernandez, please call the roll. Council Bears. Yes. Vice President Carviello. Yes. Council Knight? Yes. Council Marks? Yes. Council Morrell? Yes. Council Scarpelli? Yes. President Falco? Yes. Seven, the affirmative, zero, and the negative, the motion passes. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Motions, orders, and resolutions 20 675, offered by Council Appears. Be resolved by the Memphis City Council that the updates on the COVID-19 mitigation actions and COVID-19 safety enforcement actions requested at the Council's December 8th meeting be presented. Council Bears. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, and I know we tabled this uh, for one week last week. Um, I do want to thank Health Director O'Connor for sending a pretty detailed memorandum to the Council answering some of our questions and discussing some of the mitigation strategies and plans that they are undertaking given the new uh, surge upon surge of coronavirus cases in the city. Um, do we have the health director on the call or a representative of the city administration? Um, yes, she is. Marion O'Connor is it with us. It would be great to just hear um, maybe a, this is a detailed memo, so I don't know if you have to go through all of it, but maybe mentioning some of the highlights, especially around mitigation and enforcement. Okay. Uh, Marianne, you have the floor. Good evening, everyone. Thank you. So uh, while this was just a week ago, obviously there's been changes uh, as this thing changes rapidly. So uh, as of the update last week, I told you there were 2,500 positive cases since the beginning. Um, we are now up over 2,700 cases, 2,781 to be exact. Since 12:15, since this report was written, there's been an additional 100 needed cases in the last week. Um, as of Thanksgiving, we've had 912 cases as of the day after Thanksgiving. Um, also, you'll see in this, there was an update around, as of last week, we're in phase three, step one of the state reopening plan. Um, I'm sure many of you are aware now that the governor today announced uh, additional updates through his governor's order. Basically, uh, most significantly, I guess, affecting all of those uh, businesses that had a 40% capacity 
have now been reduced to a 25% capacity, including restaurants. Up until this point, restaurants have really, um, their capacity limit was really uh, around how many tables they could fit with the six foot social distancing, uh, not really tied to a capacity limit. However, now they are tied to a capacity limit of 25%. Um, for places that don't have a pre-COVID established capacity limit, what we're gonna have to use is five uh, people per thousand square feet as the capacity limit. So um, it, it's, it's pretty significant for a lot of these businesses to be cut down, including retail, places of worship, uh, going from 40% to 25% as per the governor's orders today. Um, again, some of these things have changed because of that. Uh, but as far as our mitigation, efforts they are strongly the same we react respond to every complaint every concern uh, we have a mailing going out shortly to every household we have lawn signs we have signage we have constantly contacted businesses uh, trying to keep them up to date with the most recent guidelines an email was already sent out today to all of the businesses for which we have an email address for um, surrounding the new governor's uh, orders and the capacity limits. Um, we are doing our best to keep up with the cases. Our policy around enforcement is always education first. Um, we are there to educate and, and support. Uh, we do not like to use enforcement measures, but we will, and we have. And um, we have found mm. most businesses to be extremely compliant um, and, and helpful. Mm. Some need a little assistance. Um, we've supplied them with signage whenever requested, uh, given them any kind of masks or support they need. Um, but if we have constant and continual complaints or we are alerted to certain situations, we do respond. The, the way the state has us structured is a verbal uh, warning first, followed by a written warning, followed by a fine structure. Uh, that's in place for the different regulations. I don't know if there's anything, I know it was a five page long memo. Um, Satisfied, a little bit easy for me to write down with my COVID brain right now than to speak, but. Yeah, I just want to say um, thank you. I think that was a great summary. I'm sure that counselors will have questions, but um, I just want to say thank you again, Mary, and I know this has been an unimaginable nine months. It's been very difficult on everyone in the city and on our Board of Health, so I just want to uh, thank you for everything you've been doing for this you know, past year to keep Medford residents safe and um, Hopefully the next few months we will have good vaccine distribution and be able to start looking at the other side of this and not have more cases and more deaths in our community and serious long-term illness uh, over the next few months. So thank you, Marianne, again uh, for, for that uh, summary. It's much appreciated. And I know that um, things are changing constantly and, and 
I think it's just important as a council that we can do whatever we can to keep ourselves and the community updated on, on the latest ways that uh, we are taking action to keep the community safe. Thanks, Marianne. I, I appreciate that. And I think I just want to add to that that um, what I did include in this update, and I probably should have, is thank you for thanking me. But I have a staff that has worked seven days a week for 10 months every day, long hours. And I think they really need um, a huge thank you as well and recognition uh, for all the work they've done. They've done amazing work, they've created this. Uh, an amazing volunteer pool. Uh, we just launched a resource line. Uh, we've done food distribution, mass distribution. I mean, they have stepped up, and I think uh, the Board of Health staff has not complained, does not receive one ounce of compensation for any of the additional work they have done for 10 months, seven days a week, 12 to 14, 16 hours a day. So I, I do not want to take all the credit. I, I want my staff. Uh, to be recognized as well. It's heard loud and clear, and I thank uh, everyone, volunteers, staff, everyone who's been putting in overtime for a year uh, to keep Medford safe. Thank you to everyone. Thank you, Council Pierce. Council Scarpelli. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, Ms. O'Connor, quick question. With, uh, with the change in the state regulations, when I know it used to be red and green and yellow, now it's a, the way they they um, they explain it. It's 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 a little different. Um, it seems like neighboring communities like Melrose and Malden, you see them whenever the governor updates it. But Method's not in that high category. Can you can you shed some light on that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like like I think as of last week, over fifty percent of the state was red, and um, we're still yellow. But our caseload is extremely high. It's be, uh, mainly has been because of Tufts um, testing. They have done, done such a tremendous amount of work and, and they've been great and they're probably a model for most higher education um, institutions to look at, but, and they are part of the Medford community, so the state includes their testing in our numbers. So you, you see them, you know, you see that Medford has an exorbitant number of testing along with other uh, cities and towns that have uh, institutions of higher education in them as well who are doing testing and the state includes them. Um, so it's really been, I think, that amount of testing that has kept our positivity rate low, lower. Um, it, it will change and probably in this week's report we will see that um, because the testing has diminished at Tufts because the kids aren't there now. They've gone home for break. So their testing has diminished significantly over the last week or two. So this week, I think you'll see what the state has done is they've combined not just the number of cases, but it's also an and or with the positivity rate. So the 4% positivity rate. Okay, it's uh, it's odd. Some of those one of the neighboring communities, and they're on that list, so we're doing something right. Um, right. Yeah. So, um, the other question I have is when we, we uh, open up our businesses, restaurants, doctor's appointments, uh, gyms, when we, do we have contact tracing? Because I know that when we do the contact tracing, don't we have the restaurants or the gyms taking um, 
you know, the, the information of all the people that attend and their employees. Don't they all have to check in? And so there's, a, there's an ongoing uh, contact tracing list that goes on at those establishments? Um, yes, they're supposed to. Um, and most have, and most do very well with it. A little different with restaurants. When you walk into a restaurant, they only have to give like one party's name, like a contact for the for one party. So it could be a party of two, could be a party of six, could be a party of five, and you're only getting one name. You don't know who the other four or five or six people were. Uh, at that point, I, uh, with before the last update, they could have eight people um, in a party. Um, we're down to six now, and we're now we're at twenty-five percent. So, but yeah. All right. It's a little bit different with like a doctor's office or a hairdresser even. You know, they have appointments. So you know exactly who the hairdresser had the appointment with. You know exactly who the doctor's office had the appointment with. Um, so it, it, that there's a little bit of a difference there. So the contact tracing is a lot easier in places that have appointments like that. Uh, other places like restaurants, it becomes a little bit more difficult. All right. But... With, but you know, and I bring this up because there were there were some incidents over the past few weeks with a few restaurants, and that the the information went out citywide, and um, really put these establishments in a bad light, in a sense where you know people lost confidence. So, is could there be something as we move forward so we don't um, really damage any other reputations for other businesses that we mandate as a city? that they do a total uh, check-in where we're where responding to those people that were there. And because again, sometimes, you know, the, the instant, you know, the, the word that went out uh, was, I guess, important to get the word out so people can understand the situation, so very, but at the same time, it was also um, damaging. And uh, especially in, with what we're seeing in this climate with our small businesses, I'd hate to see more businesses going through this right now. If there's something we can implement as a city that can get the word out to the patrons of those places, and it's not you know uh, put out there where people can make their own um, determinations or be the judge and jury of these small businesses and. Um, and, and try to work together with them. Is, could that be something we can do? Absolutely. If we can get cooperation, that'd be amazing. But that oh, would be mean great. we'd have to take the name and number of every single person who entered the establishment, uh, which is different from what's required of them right now. Um, but if we wanted to require that of them, we could certainly do that, and it would certainly make our lives a lot easier as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, but, you know, other establishments are not following the guidelines at all. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, it depends on how cooperative we can really get the businesses to be. Yeah, no, we, but it, like, that'd be great. I think that that should be something we should take initiative on and look at, uh, you, know, the, uh, you know, before we, as this is growing, we're seeing these spikes. And if um, we're going to, if the state's going to mandate these regulations to small businesses like that, then I think that we have to do everything we can to support them and, and be partners. And if they're not doing what they're supposed to do, then they follow those consequences. But um, I appreciate that. The, uh, the last thing, I, I know that as we move forward, and we're hoping we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, I know we talked months ago um, about 
opening up the chambers and what we need to do. And I know you, you said that you needed a, a, um, a plan for the council, and I asked for, you know, assistance from, the, from your department to send me some bullet points where you would like to see added into those, that you, into those uh, guidelines as we move forward. Uh, I, think, I think I haven't gotten those bullet points for assistance with our health department, and I know that I talked to the city solicitor, the acting city solicitor, about questions that we had about capacity. Now, obviously, you know we're we're erring on uh, caution with with all with the up up creep uh, with the numbers um, increasing. But um, the budget season is going to come a pretty quick, and we know what happened last budget season with all the confusion. And um, I'd like to have something in place because. Um, you know, April, May is coming, it's, it's, it's happening, but as we're seeing the uh, vaccinations coming through and, you know, I want to make sure that we have a plan that we're hitting the, the ground running. Um, so if you could really assist me with that, um, I'll be the counselor on the point with that, Ms. O'Connor, to let that happen, but I really need the guidance from the, the health department to assist me with that. So I'd appreciate I, that. Absolutely, and I, you know what, I hope to God by April and May we have the vaccine out there yeah. and um, we're doing much better. Um, but honestly, the guidance right now, you can just have to do the social distancing and have to do the mask wearing. So you can fit as many people in there as you can as long as there's six feet social distancing and everyone's wearing masks. The rest of it is open meeting law. That, that's not my expertise, but that's the only guidance right now for municipal meetings. Um, you need to follow the social distancing regs as far as only allowing the maximum number of people in there that can fit with six feet social distancing. So that was it. Where were, you, where were you a couple months ago? <laughs> you that's, were the, you definitely weren't the same person I talked to. You weren't the same person I talked to a few months ago. But thank you. That, that's pretty easy. That's, that's pretty easy. To tell you. That's pretty easy. Six feet now. Okay, thank you. We have a number of uh, councilors that have questions. Uh, Councilor Morell. Thank you, Councilor Scarpelli. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, Marian, thank you so much for being here and for this update and many thanks to the Health Department and the Board of Health for all they've done for these these past 10 months. Um, so I saw in the report that um, Tufts has completed its abutter testing um, as, as students have gone home. Is that a program that we expect to resume in the spring? That's a good question. I know it ended this week. There hasn't been any discussion about it uh, being reinstated in the spring, um, when the, but that's something we can certainly pursue with them because I know it has been helpful. Um, and I know it's, it, you know, uh, for the most part, people took advantage of it, which was good. Okay, thank you. And, and just to make sure I understand your earlier point about um, the amount of tests Tufts doing is kind of contributing to a lower positivity rate Essentially, you're saying if we see maybe that positivity rate tick up um, in the next few weeks, it's at least partially reflective of um, not having that, that large amount of Tufts test to keep that number down, correct? Correct. Okay. Thank you. Those are my questions. Thank you, Councilor Morell. Uh, Vice President Caviello. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Miriam, for being here today. Miriam, um, how many uh, citations? Uh, uh, warnings have you issued, issued to uh, businesses in the area? Uh, we've issued warnings. Um, we have not issued actual citations to businesses. Just one, just one warning? No, we've, 
we've issued several warnings. So, I, I don't know that off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I don't know there are some establishments that we, we get uh, frequent complaints from, and there are mm -hmm. some, you know, most, again, our goal is to educate um, and, to, and to support, because this is a difficult time for them, and we know that. Um, so we're not out there to find people. Um, it's just when we've been there one, two, three, four times, and it's still not getting the compliance, then we will issue a, a warning. And where, where are we with our three nursing homes as of today? So vaccine is on the way, as far as I know, to them, which is great. Uh, they have been continually testing. Um, there's have been a few staff people recently um, who have tested positive, uh, but as great, and we did have uh, a small cluster, two clusters actually happening um, at one facility, which seems to has, have been resolved with, with no deaths or anything, thank God. But, um, but as far as the other facilities go, their patient testing has been great, uh, nothing so far. It's been mostly staff, uh, which is from the community spread, obviously, um, then beginning. But they are continually testing, and vaccine is on its way. I, I, I did receive a note uh, from Glenbridge, where my, where my dad is, and uh, I guess a couple of patients had gotten it there, and they were transferred to another facility that could handle uh, COVID patients. Yes, and I know our Medford Rehab facility has a COVID wing, um, and and they have been accepting COVID patients. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear what you said. Who has Medford COVID? Rehab, Medford Rehab and Nursing um, Center has a COVID wing. Okay. And they do accept COVID patients. Okay. And we have had um, a couple of deaths there uh, within the last month, but those were patients who were transferred there already with COVID for basically for palliative care, I believe. And what role will the, will the city be taking in, um, in the vaccination process? So that's happening really quickly. We're finding out day by day, things are changing, of course. And um, we recently find, found out that we are gonna be involved in the first responder testing. We are hoping to be able to vaccinate all our EMS, fire and police by the second week in January, is what we've been told, we're expecting the first shipment of vaccine in and around January 4th, um, frozen, which then has to thaw. So we're hoping by the second week, we will be setting up, our, we're gonna be partnering uh, regionally to do this because the state doesn't want a lot of, you know, 351 cities and towns doing 351 clinics for their police and fire. So they're asking us to partner up so that you have a minimum of 200. So we will be partnering with Mystic Valley Public Health Coalition, which includes Malden, Melrose, Wakefield, Stoneham, and Medford, and I believe Winchester will be will be joining us as well. Our hope is to set up four or five days of consecutive clinics within each community, so that all first responders, if they can't make the Medford one, they can go the Malden one, they can go the Melrose one, depending on when they get off shift. We wanna make sure we schedule that appropriately too, in case there are side effects, we want it off shift. Um, so there's a lot of details to be worked out. We do expect to be involved in phase two, which we're hoping starts somewhere in February. Phase two includes 65 plus, it includes people with comorbidities, it includes K-12 teachers. Uh, so we're expecting to be involved in those clinics as well. Uh, we are not involved in nursing home 
vaccinations that's been um, handled by CVS and Walgreens, who the, the feds have contracted with. Um, and we're not obviously involved in the, in the hospitals and medical uh, centers vaccinating their own staff. So um, that's as far as we know at this point, but we've been, we've been practicing for this for about 10 years now. We've been doing EDS and pandemic planning for a long time. Um, and thank God we have. So we're, we're ready uh, to do this. And it's just a matter of when we get the vaccine, what we know we're supposed to do. And that's all rolling out by the state. It comes quickly, but you know, when it comes, but that's all we have right now. Um, right now, we know we're going to probably get the Moderna vaccine for the first responders, so that doesn't require the deep freeze. Um, and again, to assure everybody, uh, there is no live virus in any of these vaccines. They're an mRNA, which is a messenger RNA. Uh, they work with a protein. So there is, you do not get the, the virus. You cannot get the virus from this vaccine. There is no live virus in, any, in the Pfizer or the Moderna. Um, so we really encourage people when this is available to please take it, accept it. It's safe um, and, and, and we need it. And my, my last question is, um, I received a call, a couple of calls from people uh, who work either, either a doctor's or a dentist's office. And they're asking why if when one of their employees in the office gets sick, the office isn't shut down. Do they, so they, they, do they, they, they have a procedure? Sure, yep. Um, and we usually, we, we speak with them. Um, they are all supposed to be in full PPE, personal protective equipment at this point when they're working. Um, so they wouldn't even be considered close contacts um, because they're in PPE, um, personal protective equipment. So, and that's, that's medical grade. That's not your surgical mask that you're wearing now. Is it N95s, face shields, gowns, gloves, booties? So they are not considered close contacts um, when you're wearing, it's just like our police and fire. If they're wearing full PPE, they're not considered close contacts. Thank you, Miriam. Thank you, Vice President Caviello. Consulate Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I want to thank Miriam and her staff. Um, it has been a trying time. Uh, and I want to thank Mr. President, uh, the residents of this community who have been dealing with this for 10 months um, and have, I, I think, done a tremendous job, Mr. President, in social distancing and watching out for their neighbors, watching out for people with comorbidities, and uh, trying to do they, the best they can for their families and themselves in this trying time. Um, so I think they uh, deserve a round of applause as well. Um, Marianne, uh, any idea how many vaccines we're going to get in this community? Yeah, gotten that specificity yet. Again, um, it's coming out in phases. So we're in phase one now uh, with the first responders. That, so phase 1A, are your medical personnel in the hospital folks? They're called, and that's COVID facing only. Okay, phase so 1B. So you're actually dealing with a COVID patient. So that's not your dentist's office, it's not your doctor's office, it's your people who are actually in the ERs, in the ICUs, in the hospitals that are dealing with COVID patients that are getting these tests, uh, these vaccines now. Uh, eventually, by the time we finish phase one, the rest of the medical community should be included. Um, 
phase two is much broader population, uh, which then I think we will be involved in, which, like I said, includes your schools and stuff. The general, real general population, like young adults and such, we're probably not looking at that till maybe April. So, so, um, so Marianne, when you say phase one, is the city of Method involved with the distribution of vaccinations in phase one for police, fire, and first line responders? Oh, yes, we are. The Board of Health will be doing those, those right. vaccinations, like I said, with Malden, Melrose, Wakefield. Uh, we, we will be doing a regional uh, vaccination clinics for our first responders for the region. Right. So, so every first responder in the city of Method will be guaranteed that the city of Method will have their um, vaccine? Or when you say regional, I, I, I kind of get lost because I'm not sure who's the direct responsibility when it comes to regional. So we had to have a minimum of 200 first responders to be able to hold a clinic. And we don't have that as far as first responders right now anyways. Um, who have been surveyed to want to uh, receive the vaccine, we, we didn't hit the 200 mark. So we had to partner up with uh, local other communities um, to come up with that 200 number. But we will get the vaccine we need for our Medford folks. It will be offered in Medford. However, if that's not a date that's convenient for them, they can go to our regional partner. Um, so, so, so Marianne, um, what, what is the total number of our police and fire personnel? Uh, as far as those who are willing to take the vaccine right now, what I've been told by both police and fire, we're looking at probably about 130. Okay, so, so now, now we're talking two different things. Willing to take and the number of first-line responders that we have, because we have over 200 in my last count during budgeting of police and fire if we're if we're going to count this isn't mandatory we can't because of the emergency fda approval i i understand um, i understand that but if i have 200 firefighters and police officers that want to take it i'll get it what? um but right now i've been told i i only have 140. Right. i will get as much vaccine as i need if i have the number right so so why why wouldn't we go to whoever is distributing this and say we need 200 vaccines for our police and fire. Because they asked us to ask how many would be interested in surveying to take it, and we got the numbers, and that's what we were told. And, and if that number changes, if I said, no, nah, I don't want to do it, then I decide to do it, is it a quick turnaround to get the vaccine? Yeah, we'll obviously have overage we can use. Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that makes zero sense to me. If we have uh, the 200 requirement, that we wouldn't just get 200 vaccines. They're not gonna give me extra if I'm not gonna use it because it has to go to somebody else who will take it. Right, I, I understand that. But then when you start looking at first line responders, uh, there's EMS, uh, you have, you have, uh, you know, uh, in my opinion, phase two with seniors. Uh, uh, any idea when phase two is gonna happen? February. In February? That's what we're being told. Do, do we know mid-February, late February? We've been told February to um, March. February to March. So it's another two months before. If you go on the state website, the Mass.gov website, that's a great um, 
kind of a grid there, and you can see who the different folks are, what the different populations are, and what the timeline is. It's all spelled out on the mass.gov website for people who want more information. Sure. So, so uh, seniors that uh, currently get the uh, flu vaccination by the city, is it going to be the same process and set up? I hope so. That's what we're working for. It's a little bit different now because of the social distancing requirements. We're going to have to really do an appointment basis, you know, thing and, and, and do it very carefully. So uh, the state is actually setting up a new database that we're all trying to learn really quickly that allows us to do that. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, that's the plan. Right. Um, and how do we know the numbers? Uh, naturally, you're not going to be able to check with every senior that may want the vaccine. So how will you uh, order the vaccines for a phase two senior population? So I know it's a little bit different with seniors because they don't all have internet access and all those details haven't been worked out. But with this new database that the state's putting out, it's actually going to be out there. It's going to be a COVID-ready uh, application, I believe, that you, I, anybody can get on and say, yes, I want the vaccine. I, I'll take it whenever I can get it. I don't have any of these underlying conditions. I. I work here, I qualify for this, because in that second phase as well, essential employees are included. So you sign up and you say, yes, I work at a grocery store, or yes, I work at the DPW, or yes, you know. Um, and, and all of that will be fed to us, and then when we get the vaccine, we're able to actually call that information out um, and, and be able to understand what the numbers are going to look like. Right. Um, I'm not sure what the rest of the promotion and push out is going to be for folks right now for the state, but I'm sure we will get as much vaccine as we need uh, when we need it. And, and as, as far as you know, and, and I appreciate you answering all these questions, I realize this is a moving target. Um, so as far as you know, in order to obtain a vaccination, you have to go on the state website Expression. Oh, wait now, I don't know. Right I mean, now. I just learned about this this morning. So right, this right. Has been, well, I'm, um, I'm just trying to figure out because I'm getting, I'm fielding a lot of questions from seniors uh, asking when the city will get. Everybody wants to know, and I understand that. Um, but there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of really good answers right now. The best answers are on the mass.gov website around the vaccines. That's as much information as I have. I don't have any more information than anyone else at this point, unfortunately. The first responder thing came up last week, and we were told to have it ready in two weeks. So, you know, um, so, so, it, so that it's leads... happening quickly, and, and right. we're all doing our best. We'll figure it out, and people will get notified. But we're looking at a long process. We're looking at between now and March, April, between and maybe May, you know, before everybody and anybody gets in line. But that phase that phased kind of approach is all outlined on mass.gov, who's included and in what phase. Right, right. I, I guess if you're in Congress, you overstep all these phases <laughs> and you can get your shot right away because we know how essential people in Congress are and they can get their shot immediately. Over what to help people on in, on in phase one. What's that? What to help people are not in phase they're, one. They're not in phase one. Okay, well, uh, maybe you have to run for Congress uh, to, get, to get your shot. Um, so, so my, my, uh, and I realize, you know, you don't have all the answers now, but I, I really am curious how this is going to roll out in the community 
and we're partnering with the state and right there I don't have a lot of confidence uh, in how the state operates to be quite frank so that that worries me a little bit uh, the fact that uh, you the only option may be at this particular point to have someone go on the internet and pull out an application and knowing that there's a fair number of people that don't have internet access a fair number of people that may not have the whereabouts to do that and I'm wondering what process we're going to set up and this may be too early for you now but I'm sure these discussions should be had right now uh, yeah we're in those discussions and we will we will come up with support mechanisms like I said we have the whole resource line set up right now which is an amazing multi-language resource line and I am sure we will be using that for people to call um, and, and tell us they want the vaccine and ask us how to and we will assist. We've been doing this for 10 months. We've assisted everyone we could possibly assist. And we will be there for them going forward through this vaccination program. Um, we will set up systems. Do trust me, everyone's gonna get their vaccine when, when they can. And um, I, you know, like I said, it's, it's fast moving. And unfortunately, yes, we are partnering with the state who has to partner with the feds who, you know, um, no, so, I, I, I understand that. I, I just want to make sure that when the time comes that we're not sitting here saying, well, I wish we had enough vaccinations because we didn't realize that uh, this many people wanted the vaccination. Um, and, and I just want to make sure that's well thought out before we enter that phase. And I want to make sure we hit all segments of our population, so not just the elite uh, that are up in Congress or have the where the means to get their vaccination before anyone else, before anyone else, um, you know, get their fair share as well. So, right. and I, I promise we will. We will use robocalls, we'll use mailings, we'll use everything at our disposal that we've used in the past to get the word out and sign people up. Um, and, and they are promising in the, us, although, you know, they are promising us enough vaccine for, for all. Um, but again, it's going to be a phased approach. Not everyone's going to qualify for the first phase or the second phase, or you know. So it, they're doing it by um, comorbidities, elders, right. essential workers. By the time it trickles down to the younger population, we're we're looking at probably the end of the spring. Right, and and I don't doubt that process. Um, uh, and my my last question is, uh, what percent? of the testing that currently happens in Method uh, consists of Tufts testing? Um, close to half, I would say. Um, so they reported the 23,000 tests last week in the state's report that Medford conducted, and probably 10,000 of those were Tufts. Were Tufts. So, so uh, you know, I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but it's clear to say if uh, the Tufts testing dwindles, that method's going to find itself in the red pretty quickly. I would think so. You said you think so? Yeah, I would think right. so. Yeah, right. I believe so. Right. Yeah. I would think so, too. Um, mm -hmm. and that, and we all know, yeah. Right. Um, and, and I don't think that should alarm anyone, but I think it's important to know because, as Councilor Scott Pelley mentioned, you know, we went from being the yellow to the red, back to the yellow. Now we've been in the yellow for quite some time, or the green, or whatever color we've been in. Uh, we haven't reached that uh, red point, um, and it's merely because of the testing, as Councilor Morell mentioned, too, uh, for Tufts. Um, and that's going to be very interesting to see uh, what those numbers will be like once that 
once that testing goes down. But I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Marks. Vice President Caviello. Thank you. thank you, Vice President Carviello. Uh, Marianne, thank you very much uh, to you for all your hard work and to your department. I know that um, you've worked long days, long weeks, and many months on this. Um, I just have a couple of quick questions. Um, so if I'm correct, every morning, is your department notified of positive cases? We're notified 24 hours a day. Okay, and at that point, so, so if you're notified 24 hours a day, when does contact tracing begin? Like what? Well, uh, with 862 cases since Thanksgiving, uh -huh. it's been it's been difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. It's been difficult to keep up. But we've got we've onboarded um, <laughs> a lot of new staff, luckily. And uh, unfortunately, with the state, it takes time to get people onto the Maven system. We tried to train. It's taken us two weeks to get people on, which is not a good thing. So we've up with the system to bypass that but, I got um, but we've we it's also instituted a first call uh, program because we realized that it was taking time for the contact tracing to happen so we we got we gathered a team just to let people know so when we get those cases in the morning we open up the maven database and there's 20 cases we're assigning those right out right away so people will get a call to say at least you're positive please isolate think about who you've been in contact with and you will get a call from a contact tracer within a day or two to, you know, so think about who you've been with and be ready to give that information. Um, but our immediate need was to get those people who were infectious off the streets and to let them know they were positive. Because what's happening is a lot of the providers and the testing sites who are doing these tests are not following up with these people and not letting them know that they're positive. Um, and that's what we were finding. So we felt it was more important that we make a first call to make sure they knew they were positive and to, to isolate. Um, we are catching up, uh, happily to say, as of today, we think we will be there. Um, I'm not sure what's gonna happen over the holidays. COVID doesn't take a holiday, but, and I know there's no testing over the holiday, but, um, and it's gonna be, and the state CDC folks are not working on Christmas day. So, you know, the, the next week is gonna be a little bit challenging, but um, we are catching up with the 862 cases since Thanksgiving. Um, I apologize to everyone out there who has not received a call, but at least you should have gotten a first call. And, and some people now that we're calling back to the contact race are saying, I already got a call. I already gave this information out and that was the first call. Um, we're now we're trying to actually get the data for the, the state database, but the most important thing is that folks knew they were positive and isolated. And Marion, how many people do we have making the calls? So as of now, um, we're up to, I believe we're up to five, five. at least six, and we, have, we had three more go through training um, yesterday. And we have another three going through. It only happens on Mondays. The training only occurs on Mondays with the state. And then they have to take a test and they have to wait for the answer. So like I said, there's a delay in actually getting them on the system. Um, but while they're not, while we're waiting for them to get on the system, now we're having to make those first calls. Okay. Um, so we had six onboarded as of last week an additional three yesterday, and I believe an additional two or three next Monday are getting trained as well. Good. 
Okay. Thank you. And I, uh, one last question. With, I've got a number of questions on this, um, and I know uh, I watch the um, school committee meetings and just kind of see what's going on on the school side. And I received questions from uh, residents regarding the metrics uh, that on the Metro Public Schools website. Um, you know, last time I checked, which was earlier today, it looked like they hadn't been updated since November 29th. I mean, is there, is there a reason why it's taking so long to update those? I know, you know, a lot of parents, you know, want you know, the latest and greatest data, and I know few few of the schools have had issues with regards to, you know, uh, COVID outbreaks, you know, between staff and students. So, um, you know, is I would think that the I would think that the number should be more current than that. Um, you know, November 29th. Are you aware of that? No, I, I thought that they were pretty good. I know uh, they contact me. Um, they put up the, so there is monthly data that goes up, and that would be the November data that's there that they take actually from us for communities. But as far as the school-based data, um, I thought they were pretty up to date. And I, I honestly, I have not looked at the school website, um, but I know they contact us on a weekly basis, and I know um, the school nursing department works really hard with them to make sure they have the most up-to-date data. So I'm not sure why it's November 20th. That doesn't make sense to me. And um, how often? How often would, do you think it should be updated? I mean, how often do you think parents should actually see? Um, is it daily? Is it weekly? Is it? I think the goal right now is weekly for them. Um, so we're doing testing twice a week. So like we did testing today at the schools. We'll get those cases tomorrow um, and work through those, and those numbers will be collected. And then we do testing again on Friday and we do those cases on Saturday so I believe on a weekly basis they try to update it uh, Thursday or Friday um, but I could be wrong I shouldn't speak for the schools because I'm really I shouldn't I don't know no no I understand I, I just um, I, I know I've seen you at some of the school committee meetings I know you've been called upon to answer questions as well as Tony Vento and I just wanted to um, to me, I, I can bring that forward to them, though. I, I, I'll bring that up to Tony. And, if and you could, I greatly appreciate it. I know that I've received calls from uh, parents regarding that. Um, it's uh, you know, I mean that that data should be more current, I would think, than November 29th, and that's I think almost a month ago. So yeah, I'm surprised if it's not, but okay, I will look at that. Okay, um, let's see. Sorry. Any other questions from the council? The team staff Rodriguez has his hand up. Yep, I, I, I got him. I just want to get the council first. Oh, sorry. I do have a question. <laughs> okay, Councilor Morell, and then we'll go to Dave Rodriguez. Councilor Morell. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, just through the chair for Marion, is there anything, um, you know, outside of obviously our, our personal um, public health responsibilities that residents can do to assist the um, Board of Health, um, health Department as far as are there contact tracing volunteers needed or anything like that? Yeah, sure. We have uh, the IUK program that's doing a lot of calls. So when we have people in isolation and quarantine, we'd like to follow up on them to make sure they have access to, you know, food, diapers, supplies, if they're stuck in the house, you know, what, what, what they need. So we do have a whole, you know, volunteer system set up for that if people are interested. Um, we do have this first call. Um, and some of those folks, a lot of those folks are volunteers helping us out with that. The food distribution program in general is, is volunteer, so we have a lot of volunteer opportunities. And and certainly with the vaccination clinics coming up, um, we are gonna need a lot of assistance. Even, you know, non-medical certainly, but non-medical as far as, you know, registration, crowd control, 
you know, information, that type of thing. So uh, if people are interested in helping or registering medical or non-medical, uh, certainly contact us. We'll take all the help that we can. Okay, so the, the best way is to reach out to the um, health department directly? Yes, yes. Uh, Brooke Hoyt is actually our local volunteer MRC coordinator in my department. Um, I'm sure she's on the website, Brooke Hoyt. Um, and she would be the best person to contact if you're interested in volunteering. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, Council Morrell. Uh, let's see, Dave Rodriguez, Chief of Staff. Thank you, Mr. President. Just to, as a point of clarification, the, the metrics on the school website were updated on 12-18. Uh, that's located uh, right there, including building classroom readiness and uh, some updated numbers there. Okay, so, but ideally should it be, I, I mean, that's that's more current at least, but um, the last one I saw was 11-29. I mean, is, is the goal weekly? I mean, should it be weekly? I would think, I mean, you talk Every Friday, yes. Yeah, it's, it's updated every Friday. Okay, because I mean, that there is what? That's, what, almost three weeks? Three weeks. That's, that's three weeks. I, I think we need to do better than that. I think the parents of our school system deserve better than that as well. So I know I know everybody's busy, but I think updating the metrics should be a priority so people know if they're sending their students to school, uh, sending their kids to school, they know what they're walking into. And that's something that we need to make sure uh, everyone is aware of. So uh, thank you, Chief of Staff Rodriguez. Any other questions from the council? Well, we the Second. On the motion of... Vice President Carviolo to receive and place on file, seconded by Councilor Bears. Clerk Kernabees, please call the roll. Councilor Bears. Yes. Vice President Carviolo. Yes. Councilor Knight. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morrell. Yes. Councilor Scarpelli. Yes. President Falco. Yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. Marianne, thank you very much. Thank you to your uh, department. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good evening. Thank you. I'll thank see. You. We have 20-076 offered by Councilor Bears, and that motion is similar to Councilor Scarpelli's 20-679. Um, and I believe there's a motion to join those two resolutions. Motion to join. On the motion by Councilor Scarpelli, seconded by Councilor Knight, to join resolutions 20676. In 20679. Clerk Arby's, please call the roll. Are we, are we, did we lose the connection? <laughs> Clerk Arby's, please call the roll. Councilor Bears. Yes. Vice President Carabiello. Yes. Councilor Knight. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morrell. She's frozen. Councilor Morrell? She's frozen, Jim. They're not on yet. She's, Hang on. Um, I I'm telling you, this is sabotaging. <laughs> Someone doesn't want us to read these. Councilor Morrell, can you hear us now? It's sabotage. It's sabotage. <laughs> that's that's a Okay. Oh, Councilor Morrell, we're in the middle of a roll call to join uh, to join the two resolutions, uh, and I'm you're actually up in the roll call. Yes. Thank you. Councilor Scarpelli. Yes. President Falcon. Yes. Seven affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. The resolutions are joined. 20-676, offered by Councilor Bears, via resolved by the Memphis City Council that the Memphis Community Media, Patrick Gordon and Kat Darnell, be congratulated for receiving an overall excellence award from the Alliance for Community Media and thanked for their hard work to inform the community and 
20679 is offered by Council Oscar Pelli. Be resolved that the Council congratulate Patrick Gordon for his leadership, knowledge, expertise in public access television and his tireless dedication to the citizens of Medford for winning the overall excellence award for community media in the Northeast region. Council of Bears and Councilor Scarpelli. Council of Bears. Thank you, Mr. President. I'll be brief and then happy to turn over to Councilor Scarpelli. Um, but I just filed this to commend the fantastic work of Medford Community Media, Patrick, Kat, and everyone else who have done so much with a limited budget um, and received an award. And, uh, you know, they're keeping us connected via Zoom. Uh, for council meetings, getting information out to the public, coronavirus information, um, and really just doing whatever they can uh, to use Medford Community Media as a resource at this time. So I think it's a well-earned reward, and I'm happy to uh, hear from my fellow councilor, who I think agrees with me. Councilor Scott Pelly, thank you, Councilor Bears. Thank you, Councilor Bears. Thank you, Council uh, President Falco. Um, this is a different time. I think when you talk about public access that was here in the past, you had a uh, few TV shows that we loved and the community got involved, but when you're talking about the dedication and the tireless effort of Patrick Gordon and what you see, what he's done over the last 10 months when our world changed and turned to Zoom, a Zoom society, you're talking, there are days that Patrick's doing seven Zoom calls a day. Now remember, it's a man who has a family and a staff of one and, and still and still putting together one of the finest public access television uh, programs, media centers in the state. So I, I think we have to understand that we're very lucky that we have probably one of the most state-of-the-art uh, facilities at Medford High School, which has been, you know, before the, before the pandemic struck, the, the discussions with, with students and teachers and having that on site and learning from Patrick's expertise, I think it really, really shows in the, with this award. I think that we'll be seeing many, many more. And I think we need to applaud his efforts when, when you, you're talking about um, accomplishing things with nothing. That's what Patrick's doing. Um, so I, I really, I, I think we need to um, really go by and see him. You know, send him an email. Let him know how great he's been because I think it's important that we don't lose people like Patrick in, um, in, in our community. I think that, uh, you know, in the past we've had some uh, rocky roads and we've had some negative dialogue, but through it all he stood up, stands above it and makes sure he brings the best product forward. And with this award it just shows you that it's being recognized nationwide now. So, again, congratulations and... Um, uh, we should all applaud Patrick Gordon. So thank you, Mr. Thank President. Thank you, Council Scarpelli. Vice President Carviello. Thank you, Mr. President. <clears throat> Again, um, overall excellence award uh, for, for, for Patrick and, uh, and Kat uh, is to say the least. I think Council Scarpelli said it the best. You know, he's ushered us into um, a whole new period uh, of a way of living and how these meetings are conducted throughout not just our meetings, but meetings throughout the whole city uh, in this, in this uh, difficult time. And again, uh, uh, the guy has the, the worked countless hours. I mean, he's been here many hours with us, uh, day and night. He's got a family. And again, he's, he's just to be commended for his overall excellence award, which is uh, a great achievement for him and for, on a limited budget and a, and, a, and a limited staff. So, Patrick and, and uh, Kat, congratulations to both of you. Outstanding job.
Thank you, Vice President Caviello. Councilor Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. And um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say anything about Patrick. You know, Patrick's been on board several years now, Mr. President. And um, let me tell you, uh, the uh, change in this community regarding uh, PEG access, which is the public educational and government channel, has been uh, tremendous over the last several years since Patrick came on board. Uh, I remember a day when we used to go in the side room, Mr. President, and have uh, you know some meetings, uh, committee the whole meetings and subcommittee meetings. And guess what? That side room now, it's all televised. It's all open for the public. It's all transparent. And that is largely due uh, uh, to the efforts of Patrick Gordon um, and the expertise that he brought, Mr. President. And I agree with my colleagues. Over the last 10 months, uh, Patrick was the first to step up uh, and make sure that this council had a forum, make sure that we had access to Zoom, make sure that it was compatible to our equipment here. And he's done yeoman's work, Mr. President. Um, there's a movement uh, in Congress uh, to do away with uh, PEG access. And um, I think it would be one of the worst uh, things to do, Mr. President, uh, in order to stifle uh, open dialogue, uh, stifle uh, participation. Um, and I, I hope it goes nowhere. But I know there's a movement afoot uh, because of the cost. But the cost to me, um, uh, you know, the transparency and uh, public input far outweighs any cost, Mr. President. And that's what good government's all about. And, um, you know, we, we truly have a, a winner in Patrick. And uh, I think uh, Councilor Scott Pelley mentioned, uh, it's a staff of one person, one person. When Patrick has to say, hey, can you do this? He has to look in the mirror because he's telling himself to do it. There's no one else in his office. It's amazing what this gentleman puts out for one person office. Go to Somerville. Go to Malden. Go to Arlington. They have a full-fledged department with multiple people. And here he is pulling it off with one person. I want to thank him. It's uh, well warranted, Mr. President. And Patrick, keep up the good work. Thank you, Council Marks. We have Councilor Morell and Councilor Knight. Councilor Morell. Councilor Morell, can you hear me? Okay. We'll go to Councilor Knight. Um, Mr. President, thank you very much. And um, I'd like to take this opportunity to congratulate and thank Patrick for all he's done. I echo the sentiments of my colleagues. Um, I think when we talk about Patrick Gordon, we know that he's good at and loves what he does. And, um, you know, I think that the most embarrassing part of this whole thing is that we're actually putting Patrick in the limelight right now uh, because he's usually the man behind the scenes operating like a cat in the dock. Um, someone that's always bouncing around from meeting room to meeting room, making sure this Zoom call is set up, making sure that Zoom call is set up. And he's done an amazing job, not only with bringing these meetings to the public, but also with the efforts and the work that he's done with our public schools through the Medford Community Media Lab. 
Um, you know, over the past 10 months or so, when we've been in this crazy world, I've had the opportunity to uh, get to know Patrick very well. And, um, you know, I, I consider him TV, TV royalty, uh, access television royalty, you know, the count of TV3. Um, he does an unbelievable job, and he's someone that I really respect and thank for all the work that he's done. And I'm glad that he received this award because it's a reflection of the hard work and dedication that he's put forward to his position, to the pride he takes in his job, and to his commitment to this community. So I'm very grateful to call Patrick Gordon a friend. Um, you know, the count of TV3 in the city of Medford does an unbelievable job, Mr. President. Like so congratulations, Pat. <laughs> Thank you, Councilor Knight. Councilor Morrell. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, yeah, I, I'll be brief since so many of my counselors have already put forth. And also, I, I missed some of that, but I believe um, what's happening is an internet, uh, City Hall internet issue and nothing to do with Patrick's fine work. So um, <laughs> to, to echo what Councilor uh, Knight has said, I think this award is a reflection of the hard work that we know uh, Patrick is doing constantly. So I echo the congratulations for him and Kat. I think what he has done for this community has really been a lifeline, especially over these past 10 months. What he's done to uh, make it so that counselors um, and the public can make their best health decisions while also being engaged um, in city council and school committee meetings is really essential. And just the number of times I've seen him kind of running all over the chambers to ensure we're set up right um, and address anything that may arise um, in the building. Um, this award is is very much uh, due and um, I shared my council colleagues in, in congratulating Patrick and Kat. Thank you, Council Morrell. And uh, if I may, I want to thank Patrick for all his hard work and dedication. Um, I know when we first started doing the meetings via Zoom back in March, I always knew I didn't have to worry about the technical stuff because he would kind of get us through that, and he did. And coming back at the chambers, um, he helped with all the testing and putting everything together to make sure that we could um, roll to the public as smoothly as possible. And, and he's done a great job at that. Um, he's used some of his own equipment to actually make this happen, especially when we were first doing this in August. Uh, brought in extra TVs, and he really got it up and off the ground. And uh, I can't thank him enough for his hard work and uh, his uh, well-deserved uh, reward, both him and Kat. So Patrick, thank you very much. Um, I'm not sure if you want to uh, put it on autopilot for a minute. The uh, council has a uh, citation for you. The Memphis City Council takes pleasure in awarding this council co commendation to Patrick Gordon for his leadership, knowledge, expertise in public access television and his tireless dedication to the citizens of Medford and for earning the overall excellence award for community media in the Northeast region. John C. Falco Jr., President, on behalf of the Medford City Council, Patrick Gordon. Congratulations. Congratulations. Say a few words. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, hopefully our internet stays up while I talk. Um, I've received numerous messages from people in the city uh, congratulating me, but it really, the award is for everybody in the city. It's, it's every resident that's come down and become a member, um, every member that's taken training and become a producer, and every producer that's created content for their city. Uh, it's every host and guest and camera operator and editor and council members and everyone that volunteers on a, on a city board, organizations, that's community, that's community media. So I want to thank everybody in the city for making community media something to be proud of. So thank you. Thank you. Great job, Patrick. Thank you. On the motion of Council Knight, seconded by Vice President Cardiello, Clark Hurtabies, please call the roll. 
Councilor Bears. Yes. Vice President Carabiello. Yes. Councilor Knight. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morrell. Yes. Councilor Scarpelli. Yes. President Falco. Yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. Two zero six seven eight offered by Councilor Knight. Whereas the Memphis City Council has made repeated requests to be provided with monthly copies of the city warrant articles, and whereas these repeated requests have gone unfulfilled by the city administration, be it resolved that the city solicitor provide the council with a draft ordinance requiring that the council be provided with the warrant articles on a monthly basis, and be it further resolved that the city solicitor send a freedom of information request to the city administration on behalf of the city council requesting the following information. Copies of all warrant articles for the period of January 1st uh, through the current date. Council and I. Uh, Mr. President, thank you very much. Um, as you're well aware, and my council colleagues are, the warrant articles are actually a copy of the bills that we pay at the end of every month. And uh, when we talk about transparency in government, um, one of the things we always hear is follow the dollar, follow the dollar. And I think it's very important, Mr. President, um, if we are going to be a transparent community uh, financially with an open checkbook, um, that this council is made aware of where the money is being spent and when it's being spent. Um, for example, uh, our vendors that are providing testing for COVID-19 have to get paid. Are they being paid? Do they have a balance? Um, how much money have we invested in COVID testing? Is this money reimbursable through the CARES Act or the HEROES Act? Um, this is good information for us, Mr. President, to have to make solid, strong financial decisions moving forward. Um, so absent the fact that um, our multiple requests have gone unanswered, I do think that this is a good legislative inaction um, because it will provide us the opportunity to receive this information on a monthly basis required by ordinance. And then um, after that, uh, we will have that information at our fingertips to um, disperse and spread uh, to those people that have questions uh, to maybe possibly adopt a council record, um, a council rule where we read it into the record at the beginning of every month what we spent money on the previous month um, so that there's that fiscal and financial transparency here in the community, Mr. President, that we hear so much about. Um, so with that being said, I'd ask my council colleagues to support this measure and ask that the city solicit a draft an ordinance for us to review, to peruse, and debate. Um, and in the meantime, she can also send across um, a freedom of information request for us to get those warrant articles that we've been waiting for for an extended period of time so that we can begin to examine those as well. Thank you, Councilor Knight. Second, On the motion of Councilor Knight, seconded by Vice President Carviello. Any questions from the Council? If I may, really quick, Council Knight, thank you for bringing this forward. Um, I think it's, uh, I like the idea of actually seeing the warrants on a monthly, uh, or even weekly basis. Remember when we were on the school committee, that's a report that we got on a, basically, I think it was uh, twice a month. And uh, it was very informative. So um, I, I thank you for bringing that forward. On the motion of Council Knight, seconded by Vice President Carviello, Clerk Hernabees, please call the roll. Is the, is the motion to draft, to refer to the city solicitor to draft the ordinance and send the FOIA request and for approval, or is it just for approval of the, of the resolution? Well, the resolution is to have her draft it and do the freedom of information okay. request. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's just for approval. So if okay. we approve the resolution, we're telling her to do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Correct. On that motion, Council Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I want to thank my council colleague, Council Knight, for putting this on. Um, my question to the uh, Chief of Staff is, uh, what would it take to put together uh, a monthly warrant articles for this council? Dave, I'm trying to, there you go. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Councilor Marks. It's, uh, I'll defer to Alicia Nunley and um, the management of the reports, but they're not, it's not a huge report that, that it is to be run. I was unaware of the request, and we can make sure that we can expedite those to you on a monthly basis. It shouldn't be a problem. 
So, so th this is a doable request then? For sure, yep. Right. So, so do, do we, and I appreciate what Council uh, Knight is offering, but do we have to go through the process of creating an ordinance in, in order to get this reporting, or is this something we can receive a commitment that this will be a monthly report going forward that we will receive from the administration? Uh, I can give you that commitment. I won't, I won't weigh into the council prerogative as to drafting the ordinance as it pertains to it, uh, but I will I'll speak with Alicia and it shouldn't be a problem to get you this information monthly. I, I, I'm not opposed to putting together an ordinance. I, I think that would be a last resort, in my opinion. Um, I, I think there should be that mutual respect among the legislative and the executive branch when we request information. I appreciate uh, my colleagues' um, frustration uh, with not receiving things in a timely fashion, especially when it comes uh, to financial reports. Uh, I know other communities, they meet constantly. They have working groups that meet and go over warrant articles and so forth and see where the spending is and make recommendations. And uh, as far as I know, that's really never happened with this council. And uh, I can appreciate this fact uh, that uh, this is something that we should be receiving going forward. So, uh, you know, I'll support this tonight. I, 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 don't, I hope there's no need to draft an ordinance and so forth, but if, if that's the druthers of this council, I will support that as well. Thank you, Councilor Marks. Any other questions, comments from the council? Okay, any questions? No hands up. Okay, on the motion of Councilor Knight, seconded by Vice President Carviello, Clerk Hardeby's, please call the roll. Councilor Bears. Yes. Vice President Carviello. Yes. Councilor Knight. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morell. Yes. Councilor Scarpelli. Yes. President Falco. Yes. Seven affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. 20-684, offered by Councilor Knight. Whereas City Ordinance 94-35, general provisions relative to the City Council and Board of Appeals requires the City Council to adopt and file with the city clerk rules relating to applications for special permits, including but not limited to the procedure for application for, a special, per for special permits in the manner and type of maps and other materials that shall be required. Be it resolved that the city council provide the council with a copy of the current procedure and requirements and be it further resolved that a committee of the whole be scheduled to review the procedures and requirements um, Mr. President, thank you very much. Um, in recent months, we've had a number of meetings, public hearings uh, related to special permits, but more importantly, we've had a lot of discussion relative to the codification of our existing ordinance and um, the potential to expand the special permit granting authority to various bodies in this community. Um, you know, one of those bodies is the City Council. And um, from what I understand, a lot of the proposals that are going to be coming back to us relative to the codification of our zoning are going to require um, some city council special permit issuance, uh, some changes to the issuance of permits and uh, the governing authority of the, the special permit granting authority, I should say. Um, so with that being said, Mr. President, I thought it would make sense for us to take a look at the existing requirements that are currently filed with the city clerk's office as required by city ordinance, review them to see if they're up to date and up to par with the information and materials that we need to make informed decisions. Um, so I think that this is an opportunity for us to review the way that we do business, the way that we conduct business, um, the type of materials, maps, and other type of um, information that we require 
um, as we deliberate and discuss creating special permits in this community. Uh, I think it will provide us with an opportunity to be more informed, better informed, and also for an opportunity for us to review and update um, the existing requirements. Um, for example, uh, we have a lot of talk about special permits and uh, our ability to require the developer to conduct a traffic study or pay for a traffic study. Um, but our existing requirements might not necessarily speak to that. So I think that there's an opportunity for us to review these and to strengthen them um, to put us in a better place to address issues that require special permit granting authority, Mr. President. So I ask my council colleagues to support this um, quest for uh, review of information and hopefully uh, an opportunity to improve the way that we do business and uh, do things a little bit better than we are. Thank you, Council Knight. Any questions, comments from the council? Second. Okay, on the, okay, no one, no hands up here. Okay, uh, on the motion of Councilor Scott seconded by Councilor Beers. Clerk, please call the roll. Councilor Beers. Yes. 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 Seven, the affirmative, zero in the negative, the motion passes. 20-685, offered by Council Knight, be resolved that the rules of the Memphis City Council be amended as follows. New section, public hearings. Matters requiring public hearing before the City Council shall be conducted as follows. Number one, the petition is read into the record. Number two, the petitioner provides an explanation of the matter requiring a public hearing. Number three, the public hearing is conducted. Number four, following the public hearing, a six calendar day public comment period shall commence. Public comments shall be submitted to the, uh, in writing to the clerk. Number five, the council shall neither approve nor deny any public require, any, I'm sorry. Number five, the council shall neither approve nor deny any matter requiring public hearing until the conclusion of the public comment period unless waived by a majority vote of the council. Council Knight. Um, Mr. President, thank you very much. Um, earlier this evening when our meeting opened up, we started off with a public hearing relative to a grant of location on Mitchell Ave. And the procedure was we call the public hearing to order, we read it into the record, and then we ask if people are opposed to or uh, in favor of the project that's before us. Then we close the public hearing, then we allow the petitioner to provide us with a presentation as to what the project's going to be. Um, over the years serving as a counselor, one of the things that's frustrated me is the process and the way that our public hearings are conducted. Um, because we're asking people whether or not they're in favor or opposed to a project that they haven't seen a presentation on yet. Um, a lot of times individuals in this community get their local news through um, the city council. And the first time that they see an issue on the agenda is at this public hearing. Um, so what happens is the council's having a public hearing, people are offering opinions as to whether they're in favor or opposed to it. Then we're closing the public hearing. Then we're turning the floor over to the developer, um, or the, the applicant, I should say. And um, the applicant gives a presentation, the council asks questions, and then we vote on it. Um, I think it might make more sense for us, Mr. President, to have the petitioner give a presentation as to what the application is before the body, so that individuals that may not know if they're opposed or in favor of the project have an opportunity to understand what it's about before they're asked to come up and speak on it. Um, secondly, what this proposal would do, and I, I really don't care about the language in terms of where it goes, but it's something that's gonna have to be hashed out. This isn't something that you know is at the end of the, at the, the, end of the line discussion. Um, this is just a launching pad. Um, but when the public hearing's closed, the council then usually votes on the matter immediately thereafter. 
and there's no waiting period. So the public hearing closes and then they said, okay, now on the petition, is everybody in favor of it? Okay, sure, we'll grant it. Because people don't necessarily read the council agenda and see what's on it, and there are individuals in the community that might get their news and understanding from community access, from the great work that Patrick Gordon's doing, the council community media, um, you know, it might make sense for us, Mr. President, to allow a six-day common period for individuals to express whether or not they're in favor or opposed after the close of the public hearing before we take the matter up for a vote. Um, it's just a, a pet peeve of mine as to the way that things operate, and um, I'm hoping that maybe we can take some steps to correct the way that we do it and improve the way that we do it so that individuals are more informed when they're speaking at public hearings, whether they're in favor or opposed to them, and so that uh, residents in the community, after hearing the presentation from the administration, get the, I mean, uh, the applicant, get the opportunity to chew on it for a couple of days and then decide whether or not they are in favor or against it and send that information to us so that we can read it. Food for thought, as we say, Mr. President. Um, so with that being said, um, this is something that, you know, I'm not too concerned about it passing right now. It can go to subcommittee, it can go to committee of the whole, um, whatever it may be. Um, I'm comfortable with the language, but I wrote it, and this is the first time most people have seen it. So, um, you know, I certainly have no problem with this going through its uh, diligent process. Uh, so with that being said, Mr. President, I ask my council colleagues uh, to support the matter to be referred either to the Rules Committee or a Committee of the Whole uh, for further discussion, debate, and deliberation. Thank you, Council Knight. Motion to send it to the Rules Committee, Second. Okay, on the motion to, uh, by Vice President Carviello to send this uh, paper to the Rules Committee, that is seconded by Council Scarpelli. Council Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I think my uh, colleague, Council Knight, made a a great explanation of uh, what this is trying to accomplish. And uh, many of the crucial pieces of uh, legislation that we put forth uh, require three readings. And I think what Council Knight is getting at, a public hearing is really no difference uh, than any other important document we work on. And uh, what happens in a, 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 a city ordinance, uh, the first reading is when it appears on the agenda. So a public hearing appears on the agenda for the first time. The difference between the public hearing and the three readings is the three readings then require you to put notice in the newspaper, then require you to come back for a third reading for final approval. None of that takes place during a public hearing. So my colleague's right. What, what typically happens is we'll listen, we'll hear both sides, and then typically act. So I, I agree with 90% of this language. I, I, I'm not sure, I, I'm, you know, the six-day calendar day, I, you know, I think we can debate about that, uh, but I, there has to be a grace period uh, which allows for public comments, and I agree with that. Public comments can also be uh, put forth ahead of time. However, if you're not aware of what the petition is going after until that meeting happens, then, then how do you make a comment on something you're not aware of? Um, and there may not be enough information that's presented on the council agenda or so forth to make an informed decision. Um, so I have no problem with that. And I, I think the uh, section five, which gives us the option, uh, sometimes we may have a public hearing that we want that vote that night because it's a, 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 an issue of utmost importance, public safety, whatever it might be, um, and we want to act quickly. And this gives us an option uh, to act quickly by a majority vote of the council if we deem necessary. So I, I like 90% of this language. Uh, I would ask that it be sent uh, to uh, uh, concur with rules with uh, Council Vice President Caviello. Thank you, Council Marks. Any other questions, comments from the Council? Okay, anyone? No one has a hand up. On the motion of Vice President Carviello, seconded by Council Scarpelli, to send this paper to the Rules Subcommittee, which is chaired by Council Knight. On that motion, Clerk Herdebees, please call the roll. Councilor Bears. Yes. Vice President Carviello. Yes. Councilor Knight. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morell. Yes. 
Councilor Scarpelli? Yes. President Falco? Yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. 20-686, offered by Council of Beers, be resolved by the Medford City Council that the City Administration implement an eviction moratorium to protect Medford residents during the severe COVID-19 surge this winter. Council of Beers, um, I am, uh, I'm inclined to rule this out of order. Um, and the reason why is, and I'm sympathetic to this issue, believe me, um, but there's a paper that is currently in subcommittee that I think you offered I believe it's in the housing subcommittee. It's been there since uh, April. And um, I believe there may have been a meeting, maybe the clerk can clarify on that, but it hasn't been voted out. And um, it's basically the exact same paper. So, um, so that there, I mean, if it's in subcommittee, it really needs to be, you have to have a meeting on that because it's already been voted to go to subcommittee. And um, I, I mean, I, I, I completely understand where you're coming from with the resolution. Like I said, I'm sympathetic to it. Um, and I believe the state moratorium has expired, but I think the yes. CDC has one to leave the end of the year. And I know there's, I think, a pending it's, bill. In, I believe there's a pending bill in Congress as well to extend it. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. So, but um, I mean, if, if I, I may. Also, if, if I may, I also believe that um, this would have to go. I think it would have to go to the city solicitor as well because I don't even know if we can do this um, because I think uh, state law probably trumps what we do here in this case. But with that being said, this paper is currently in subcommittee. And like I said, it's been there since April and it really needs to be, since it's already there, it really needs to be a subcommittee meeting needs to happen to take action on it. We, we held a subcommittee meeting on the matter. Um, at the, so I filed 2302 on April 7th, which is similar. Um, we held a subcommittee on April 25th uh, discussing both 20-300 and 20-302 um, and by then the state bill had passed so we discussed it in the subcommittee the state bill had passed we didn't take action on it at that time um, so you know, because the state had taken action in lieu of our you know our the request that I had made um, that has now expired uh, we did support on 1013 20-595 which is to support the housing stability act which would reinitiate the eviction moratorium at the state level you know that's been almost three months since that uh bill since our resolution was passed and that bill has not seen action um so i understand what you're saying i think you know it's a different time it the context of the subcommittee meeting we had was that the state had taken action so it was uh in the report the report was sent up here and the report was approved i my, you know, it is my first year, but my understanding is that we had taken that issue, placed it on file as part of the report. Um, so, I, I, I believe, if I'm correct, and the clerk would have to confirm, I believe that that paper is still in subcommittee. Mr. President, the paper is still in subcommittee. Yes. Okay, the clerk has confirmed that it is still in subcommittee. Council Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President, and uh, uh, Council Beers is correct. Uh, this paper was referred to, uh, paper 20-302 was referred to uh, the Subcommittee on Elderly and Housing Affairs uh, on April 7th. Uh, the paper read, it was offered by Council of Bears, be resolved that the Mayor and Board of Health implement an emergency order to require that no landlord and or owner shall enforce an eviction upon a resident of Medford, residential or commercial, during the public health crisis. Um, we did have a public hearing. I was shown April 22nd. I might be off on the days. 
uh, I know Council Biz said the 25th, but sometime uh, at the end of April, we did have a public uh, meeting on this. Uh, there were a number of people who attended. I know myself and uh, Vice President uh, Caviello, I believe, uh, is on the subcommittee. Uh, we actually voted on uh, sending out uh, to the city solicitor uh, to draft uh, an ordinance, Mr. President, um, and to provide us uh, some assistance uh, regarding um, um, uh, the uh, Housing Stability Task Force that was passed 3-0 by this council. Um, I have yet to see any response uh, regarding that ordinance uh, as part of paper 20-300, uh, which I believe was offered by Council of Beers. Uh, it dealt with a uh, housing stability hotline and a housing stability task force. Mm -hmm. That was to give guidance and uh, other assistance uh, for Method residents. So I've yet to see any action on that paper as well. But as far as I know, paper 20-302 was left in subcommittee. Yeah. And part of it was because the state was working on uh, their eviction moratorium and their program that they were running. But that doesn't mean this can't be resurrected. And I think that would be the, uh, the appropriate direction to go rather than just create multiple papers. Uh, you know, this is very similar subject matter. I, I would recommend that the chair set up an elderly and housing affairs uh, subcommittee and discuss, uh, you know, the paper that's currently before us, which is in line with, I believe, is being offered this evening, um, and move in that direction, Mr. President. Um, so th that's what I would recommend tonight. I agree with your ruling as well, Mr. President. Th these are very similar in nature, exactly. and we're already dealing with the paper currently before subcommittee, and that could be called at any particular time. You know, also, Mr. President, um, just so people are aware, there are a number of great programs. I work for the Department of Housing, and uh, the rapid rehousing uh, re programs with RAFT, Home Base, there's an influx of money. Uh, transitional assistance. Uh, the City Council voted to use community preservation money for the rental assistance program, and we just got a report on that several weeks back, how Method residents are taking advantage. I realize this is not a solve-all, but there are a number of programs out there uh, to assist, uh, Mr. President, and help residents uh, that are the most needy in our community uh, stay within their uh, housing right now, Mr. President. So. Um, if people aren't aware of that, and that's why I thought the housing stability hotline, I thought that was a magnificent idea. Absolutely. But it's been eight months, and for the past eight months, people could have been using that hotline in order to make these phone calls and find out what may be available out there. So I think we did miss a little bit of an opportunity uh, to try to implement this. I, I realize if this council passes that forward, it still has to be implemented by the city administration. So I'm not saying that we had the ability to single-handedly do this, but I think there was some low-lying fruit with the uh, stability, Housing Stability Task Force and the hotline that the subcommittee could have worked on in the past eight months, and I'm hoping the chair calls for a meeting very shortly. Thank you very much, Council. Uh, Vice President Carviello. Thank you, Mr. President. And um, I, at the Council of March as well, you know, there's a lot more programs out there right now um, that are available to people, but you know, we, we have uh, you know, our own program that's here, and I think the last I looked at, we had about $100,000 in money uh, set aside for people that, that need assistance, and um, if we can get a report back the next meeting on, um, on how much money is left in that account uh, that, that, we, that we appropriated money to, 
we make that part of, uh, I'm making a, a part of the, the, the bring here. Uh, but as I say, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen a lot of people filing for that money. So again, uh, I would hope if the people are in trouble, there's money there, there's assistance there, they should be taking advantage of it. So I'm going to say, Mr. Clerk, if, if you can uh, make that part of this report that we get a report back and how much money is left in that fund okay, for the you, rental Carvey. assistance. Thank you, Vice President Carvialli. So, if I may. Council Affairs, please. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, yeah, and I understand uh, where we're coming from. I'm, you know, it's been nine months. We filed it early in the pandemic. There was intervening circumstances, so that's why I'm bringing it back up. Now, I'm also bringing it back up because I have heard from several residents that evictions are ongoing. Uh, one of the issues that we've been having uh, both with raft and with the emergency city level emergency assistance fund has been in some cases that uh, large property managers and and certain landlords you know there has to be an agreement there between everybody to understand this money is going towards rent and sometimes those agreements have not been made so you know there have been active cases dates set for evictions you know that's why i brought this back up um and if I, if I may and i don't mean to interrupt but that, this is what i said at the beginning is this year i'm going to rule out of order because the paper is currently in sure it's currently in subcommittee and the subcommittee has done its work and you know and you know it's i believe you were saying council marks that uh what is done You've started doing your work. We started doing some work. I mean, it's, it's there. So, I mean, really, right. that's the launching pad. That's where this has to take Yeah, I mean, it's an so emergency, is, it's, so that's why I put it on this agenda for us to ask the mayor to take action. Me? It's, an emer it's an emergency. You know, people are being removed from their homes. I'm happy to try to schedule a meeting after the holidays in several weeks when how many more people may have been evicted, I don't know. So there is a sense of urgency as to why I put it on the agenda. I understand uh, <clears throat> your reasoning. I may not fully agree with it, but... Um, you know, we, there's been massive evidence that uh, rise, lifting eviction moratoriums, taking them away, has actually led and driven a rise in cases and a rise in deaths. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, all it is is to ask the mayor to take action. Um, so I'm happy to delay this for several weeks and see what happens and you know, try to hold a meeting. Council Beers, with all due respect, you put this in on Friday, you could have called the subcommittee meeting for this week or early next. So my recommendation, is get the subcommittee together that you're the chair of and get it going for either next week, which you can do, and I would think it'll move really quick from there. So that's- I would hope so. I don't okay. know. Okay. Mr. President? Yes, Councilor Morrell. Thank you. If I could, I, I know um, there are a number of people who came to speak on this, so I don't, um, if they're unable to speak because this is ruled out of order, if it can be made clear that they can speak at public participation at the end of the meeting. That is fine. Uh -huh. And I do, since I know, since a, a number of fellow counselors raised the issue, um, the, the resources that the city does have to offer, the city does have a number of resources people can access. Unfortunately, um, people have to remain in their homes and, and, and uh, to be able to access them and have these relief programs. So if people are evicted, um, their rental assistance does them no good if they are already removed from their apartment. So I just wanna add that point, so thank you. Okay, thank you, Councilor Morrell. So I will move this out of order, but I would encourage uh, Councilor Pierce sure. to Set up a uh, subcommittee meeting as soon as possible. Council and I. Um, I just ask that uh, when the subcommittee does meet that they uh, invite the city assessor. Um, we recently had a report back from the city assessor that we have a high volume of homes in this community that are owner-occupied, whether they're single-family residences or multi-family residences, Mr. President. Um, and we also have people that are homeowners that are taxpayers that are hurting, Mr. President. Um, people that own a home that are also suffering 
from the same effects that the COVID-19 uh, is putting on people that are uh, renters. Um, and the question comes as to what relief are these homeowners being provided if they are unable to pay their tax bill to the community? We're assessing, what, 18% penalties for individuals that are unable to pay their tax bills on time at this point in time, Mr. President? I think it's 18%. Um, you know, so if we're going to look at a relief package, I think we have to have some equity. Um, it's not just about evictions. It's not just about people that are renters. Um, there are homeowners in this community that are suffering too, homeowners in this community that are struggling that have to pay a property tax bill. And there's an area where we can also help. So I'd ask that the city assessor be invited to the housing subcommittee meeting um, for her input in that regard. That's a good recommendation. Thank you, Council Knight. So I'm going to rule this resolution out of order. But I would encourage anybody that wants to speak, uh, we'll have a public participation portion coming up later on in the meeting. But I want to thank everyone for uh, attending the Zoom meeting uh, tonight. So um, let's see, next item is communications from the mayor, 20-687, December 18th, 2020. To the Honorable President and members of the Medford City Council, City Hall, Medford, Massachusetts, 02155, regarding Community Preservation Committee. Dear Mr. President and City Councilors, I respectfully submit the following recommendations of the Community Preservation Committee to the City Council for their consideration. Requesting the appropriation of $30,000 from the CPA Historic Preservation Reserve to the Medford Brooks Estate Land Trust Incorporated for Phase 3 of the restoration of an historic stone wall at the Brooks Estate. Requesting the appropriation of $275,000 from the CPA General, General Reserve to the City of Medford Public Library, to the City of Medford, Medford Public Library for the Medford Public Library Exterior Space Project. Requesting an appropriation of $76,000 from the CPA Open Space Reserve to the City of Medford Parks Division for the rehabilitation of the Playstead Park Basketball Court. Requesting the appropriation of $15,000 from the CPA Open Space Reserve to the City of Medford Parks Division for the playground resurfacing at Tufts, Capon, and Cummings Park. Requesting the appropriation of $293,000 from the CPA Open Space Reserve to the City of Medford Parks Division for rehabilitation of Duggar Park tennis courts. Requesting the appropriation of $40,000 from the CPA Open Space Reserve to the City of Medford Conservation Commission for the Riverside Avenue stormwater improvements. Requesting the appropriation of $322,000 from the CPA General Reserve to the City of Medford Recreation Department for the rehabilitation and improvements at Tufts Pool. All projects will be tracked in the Community Preservation Fund by category, open space, historic preservation, and general reserve. Sincerely, Brianna Lungo Kern, Mayor. So I believe we have Roberta Cameron with us tonight. And we have Danielle Evans. I'm going to unmute, uh, unmute them just in case anyone has any questions. The uh, council have any questions or comments on these projects? Councilor Scarpelli. Um, thank you, Mr. President. Roberta, thank you for your, your, your staff and your volunteers that are putting uh, Yeoman's work to make sure this, uh, this uh, committee uh, really helps our community thrive. So. First, I want to thank you. But uh, a question I had that a, a few members of the community contacted me about. Um, these are all great projects. I know that we're, we're in full support as we move forward. But if we had uh, a project that was uh, requested in the past, is that automatically revisited? Is that something that has to be uh, reapplied by, the, by an organization? 
Um, that's a good question. We consider projects on a case-by-case -case basis. So if a project had applied in the past and wanted, did not receive funding for one reason or another, we would invite them to reapply and most likely they would need to go through the application process again anyway because it's really important that the recommendations that we make are tied to a specific scope and a specific budget okay and so we you know we're trying to um, make these funds accessible to all of the best projects that meet medford's needs so um, we encourage any projects to come to us and if they've been to us in the past we'd like to work with them to see how we can make it a project that we can recommend in the future if it meets the eligibility criteria for the community preservation act okay if if you can i know that uh, i'll identify the the phone calls i'm getting from little league baseball and uh particularly gillis park and i know they've applied but um is is there any way that we can uh, is it is it practiced by the commission committee to to reach out to those organizations that didn't get the funding and let them know why so they can revisit that process to move forward because if it is if we didn't we'd love to see that if we did this is great but i think uh the, the understanding for organizations like little league that are also another volunteer group that um had some concerns about uh these the projects moving forward so thank you well actually uh, the good news is that the little league um and gillis park is already in the pipeline for funding this round okay. the seven projects that we've brought this month are seven out of 12 projects that are in the pipeline for community preservation act funding this funding round we decided that we needed to spend a little bit more time developing the scope so that we are confident that we know exactly what we're recommending funding for before we can pass on a recommendation to the council for the remaining five projects that are on our slate. So we anticipate after our January meeting, January 14th is the next community preservation committee meeting that we'll be bringing to the council the remaining recommendations from this funding round okay. and one of those will be a master plan redesign for gillis park oh, okay that's great um, so that that's, but, that answers that question <laughs> so i appreciate it yeah. that's that that helps the community understand the process and for those who 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 don't and that won't get uh, approval usually they get the information the with feedback so they understand correct I know that correct right okay perfect. And we try to work with applicants so that uh, we can make a project be well vetted right and be able to recommend projects that that will work for the community to the best of our capacity and our ability at that time well thank you roberta that's the answer those questions and i appreciate again i appreciate all your hard work and all the volunteers that go go behind the scenes and make this happen so thank you Thank you, Council Scarpelli. Any other questions, comments from the council? Council Morell. Oh, council Morell. Thank you, Mr. President. I don't even know who can see me. Um, yeah, I just want to thank uh, Roberta and Danielle uh, for coming out and for the presentation we got last week. I think it's really exciting that um, all of these projects are focused on outdoor space, which is um, ever more important to us um, with the pandemic. And I think we'll really be looking forward to um, in this summer and the coming summers as these projects are completed and increase access to uh, all of these projects. So 
Uh, I, I support all of them and I'm, I'm excited to move forward with them. So thank you. Thank you, Councilor Morell. Mr. President. Yes, Councilor Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Uh, during our last Wednesday's meeting uh, regarding uh, this particular, the Committee of the Whole, these com uh, particular items, uh, there were, I believe, one or two recommendations uh, made. Uh, so I would ask that the recommendations made by the Committee of the Whole follow the approval of this paper, Mr. President. Thank you, Councilor. Okay. So that's an amendment by Councilor Marks. Move approval. Okay. Uh, let's see. Are there any? I see a few hands up. Kelly Catalo, do you want to speak about CPA funds? Uh, no, sorry, sir. Wrong topic. Okay. No worries. <laughs> Jennifer Yanko. CPA, uh, CPA funds, do you have questions? No, thank you. Um, I'm meant to speak on uh, the eviction moratorium. No worries, we're, al we're almost there. Thank you for your patience. Okay, uh, so seeing that there are no questions, no questions or comments from the council, Roberta and Danielle, thank you for all your hard work. Uh, and thank you for uh, meeting us in committee the whole last week. On the motion of Councilor Scarpelli, to approve the paper second, uh, as amended by Councilor Marks. Second. Seconded by Councilor Knight. Clerk Herdebees, please call the roll. Councilor Bears. Yes. Vice President Carabiello. Yes. Councilor Knight. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morell. Yes. Councilor Scarpelli. Yes. President Falco. Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. Reports of committees. I think that's the next item, right? 12 didn't happen. 20-680, December 15, 2020. Committee of the whole report to follow. That meeting was actually uh, postponed due to technology problems we had last week. Not because of Patrick, we had issues with the uh, cable in the building. So. Um, so uh, that there we will um, we will reschedule that meeting at a later date. Mm -hmm. President elect Caviello. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mr. President. <laughs> 20681, December 16, 2020. Committee of the whole report to follow. Uh, that 20681, we had a committee the whole report last Wednesday, December 16, 2020. And that was to discuss all of the CPA projects that uh, we just voted on a, a couple of minutes ago. Uh, there was a lot of great discussion, and these are all fabulous projects for our community. On the motion of Councilor Vice President Caballero to approve the report, seconded by Councilor Marks. Clerk Hurtabies, please call the roll. Councilor Bears. Yes. Vice President Caraviello. Yes. Councilor Knight. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morell. Yes. Councilor Scarpelli. Yes. President Falco. Yes. Seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. Public participation. Uh, Mr. President, before we start public participation, I'd like Got to make a motion to cancel next week's meeting in the interest of uh, holiday celebrations with our families. Okay, on the motion of Councilor Knight to uh, cancel the meeting next Tuesday night. Second. Second by Vice President Carriello. Clerk Herdebees, please call the roll. Councilor Bears. Yes. Vice President Carriello. Yes. Councilor Knight. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morell. Yes. 
Councillor Scarpelli? Yes. President Falco? Yes, seven in the affirmative, zero in the, in the negative. The motion passes and next week's meeting is canceled. Okay, uh, public participation to participate remotely outside of Zoom. For anyone that uh, would like to uh, email us, please email our city clerk, A Herdebees, that is A H U R T U B I S E, at medford-ma.gov. So at this point in time, uh, public participation. So we have a few hands up. Um, let's see, Kelly Catalo, we need we need your name and address for the record. And I'll give you, uh, you three minutes. Right. Kelly Catalo, 46 Otis Street in Medford. Um, I just wanted to make everybody aware on this eviction thing. So there is a process in housing and it's not easy. There was an article last week in the Globe that I hope some people read it and um, caught the last paragraph. In order for the landlords to be able to collect the federal money, they have to issue the eviction notice. They do not want to evict people, but in order for them to be able to collect the arrears, they've got to be able to put something on the table. Nobody's trying to put people in the street. Housing Court has reached out to the realtor industry and they are recruiting hundreds across the state in order to mediate between the tenants and the landlords. So when the landlord is able to access that federal money, part of getting that money is an agreement that they're not going to evict the tenant. You know, if it's just a money issue, if it's a legal issue that they're breaking the law and they're making people unsafe, I think that's a different situation. But I am on the housing sustainability task force group there and it hasn't met since last May. I've been asking, when are we going to meet? Because I'm really concerned for everyone in Medford, the tenants and the property owners. We have a lot of people that can't pay their mortgages. And one of the best things that the city can do is to be able to compile resources. And you know, Alicia Hunt and I have had numerous conversations. She's pulled together an awful lot of stuff. I've been sending her stuff. Everyone wants to help each other. But what I'm afraid of is like the state purposely backed off on extending their eviction moratorium because of the federal one that was put out. And the federal government did extend today. They extended theirs until the end of January. So I feel like if as a city we start getting involved in that and start making these home rules, it's actually going to hurt our property owners that they're not going to be able to access the funds because at the end of the day, they still need to pay their mortgage. Nobody really wants to put anybody in the street. And a lot of our landlords in Medford they're elderly people and they're relying on the rent in order to actually live and buy their food. So it's important that we can keep the resources there for everybody, the tenants and the landlords. And I don't think that we're helping everybody if the city steps in and puts an eviction moratorium. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. President, just point of information. Point of information, Council of Bears. Thanks, Mr. President. Um, yeah, uh, how this would work is it wouldn't actually prevent uh, notices from being filed in court. It would just prevent the end of the process, the removal. Um, and the federal eviction moratorium is partial. It doesn't actually apply to a vast majority of households. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Beers. Okay, up next we have uh, Jennifer Yanko. Jennifer, name and address for the record, and you have three minutes. Okay, my name is Jennifer Yanko. I live at 16 Monument Street in Medford. Um, and I would like to read on behalf of the NAACP a letter that we have uh, prepared for leaders of Malden, Medford, Arlington, Everett, and Winchester. 
and I'm doing this as a member of the executive committee of the NAACP. Dear elected leaders of Malden, Medford, Arlington, Everett, and Winchester, the Mystic Valley area branch of the NAACP includes community members from each of your cities, including Medford, and is in full support of the eviction moratorium enacted by Malden's leadership. This policy is an exemplary response to the COVID-19 state of emergency. In order to protect our communities, people must have the option to remain safely housed. The need to prevent homelessness has never been greater. Members of our organization see the eviction moratorium as an essential public health measure to be taken in the interest of everyone's safety. We urge Medford, Arlington, Everett, and Winchester to adopt a policy similar to that of Malden so that communities in the Mystic Valley area can live through this winter knowing they will not be forcefully removed from their homes in this time of great hardship. The Mystic Valley Area Branch of the NAACP commends Malden's courageous and compassionate steps taken to protect the most vulnerable members of their community. And we hope that other member cities will follow suit. We include here a template for others to enact similar policies to protect our communities during this time of hardship, suffering, sickness, and death. The letter is signed in resolute partnership by Zane T. Crute, the president of the Mystic Valley Area Branch of the NAACP. And we have included this template based on the Malden uh, policy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, we have Mary Stathos. Mary? Name and address for the record, Mary. Uh, Mary Stathos, 63 Fellsway West in Medford. You have three minutes. Great. Thank you. Uh, so my name is Mary Stathos. I'm here on behalf of the Alpha Tenant Union, and I am a resident of one of the Alpha buildings on Fellsway West in Medford. I came to speak in support of the resolution to create a city-level eviction moratorium in Medford. Just two weeks ago, Alpha Management attempted to evict another member of the tenant union and a resident of our building for an eviction that was finalized in February with a 48-hour eviction notice, despite her multiple attempts at getting aid from the city. Due to the non-compliance of Alpha Management to accept this aid from outside resources, they followed through with the eviction. They followed through with the eviction. This left her with nowhere to go and very few resources available to her. Due to the help of the Alpha Tenant Union as well as Greater Boston Legal Services, we were able to enact the CDC moratorium that as of right now is still ending at the end of December. Uh, we are still in the middle of a pandemic and forcing individuals out of their homes is not only unfair and unjust, but dangerous to the spread of COVID-19. I believe that housing is a right and that we should not be enforcing evictions for non-payment of rent during a time where so many of people are out of work or unable to work due to the impacts of COVID. By enforcing a city-level moratorium, individuals would have the time to connect with the appropriate resources to be able to stay in their home or move to an alternative safe place to live. While we should never force people into homelessness due to unforeseen financial circumstances, it is of the utmost importance that we do not do this in the midst of a pandemic. This is why I urge the council to create an eviction moratorium on the city level like cities, as cities like Malden have recently done. As it was stated earlier in the meeting, people cannot access aid when they are not able to stay in their homes and also when landlords are not responding to attempts to utilize this aid. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, let's see. Kit Collins, name and address for the record. You have three minutes. Hi, 
Kate Collins. I live at 42 William Street in Medford. And um, I won't repeat what other people have said about the reasons why um, an eviction moratorium would um, add to and not simply duplicate resources that are already available because of the things that a moratorium can do that existing resources don't or cannot. Um, but I also want to flag something that I think uh, Councillor Beers phrased really well earlier, um, just to highlight that this is an emergency and being in an emergency calls for acting like you're in, like you're in an emergency. Um, it calls for bold action, doing things that you wouldn't do otherwise. Um, and while housing insecurity and people being thrown out of their homes should always be treated as an emergency, particularly in the middle of a worsening pandemic, particularly right at the outset of the winter, this does not call for a business as usual approach. This calls for going above and beyond how we would ordinarily react to circumstances. I also just wanna say that um, I think that there's, uh, I see this uh, framing of the issue as the uh, tension between renters and landlords being some sort of zero-sum or not a zero-sum game, um, really being diversionary. Uh, that's really not the case, and this isn't a battle between the interests of tenants and landlords, um, and it does nobody any service at all to think that it's pitting the interests of one against the other. So again, especially since this resolution, which unfortunately that tabled, was just to recommend bold action, I, I believe, to the mayor's office. Um, if me and I think many other members of the community still stand very strongly for that. Uh, we really need the city to take bold action on this um, or we're going to see a lot of tragedies unfold across our city and I don't think any of us want to see Medford being a place where those types of tragedies are allowed to occur. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, we have uh, Zachary Maben. Name and address for the record, please. You have three minutes. Thank you. My name is Zachary Maven. My address is 159 Alston Street, Medford, Massachusetts. Uh, I would like to reiterate all those points that were just made. Um, I uh, am in support of the resolution uh, in, uh, for a eviction moratorium. And um, I'm sorry, I don't have any prepared notes. <laughs> but I just want to um, add uh, my voice among many to the discussion that um, this is a this is an emergent issue. Um, this is an issue that is going to cost lives. In addition to um, um, the the additional drain strain in resources that um, evictions will cause down the line, um, I totally understand that mortgages, taxes, um, these will need to be paid. But the key difference is the urgency that is facing. Um, tenants who are, are, are being threatened or being attempted to, um, to be evicted. So um, uh, with that, simply, I'd like to turn it over. Thank you. Thank you. Point of information, Mr. President. Point of information, Councilor Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. And I, I agree with a, a lot of the speakers that uh, this is a, an emergency issue. And the, this particular resolution is asking for the administration to act. So I, I think people should be picking up the phone, sending emails, contacting the mayor's office, mm -hmm. because this seems a, like a roundabout way to get something done that's an emergency. So I would urge people, like I'll do tomorrow, pick up the phone and call the administration, Mr. President, and have them implement it, Mr. President. Thank you, Councilor Marks. Point of information. 
Point of information, Councillor Beers. I agree with Councillor Marks completely. I've actually been calling the administration on this uh, regularly for the past nine months. Um, and I think the intent of the resolution that was ruled out of order was that we would add our voices to that chorus of folks who are putting pressure on the administration. You know, the mechanism that would be used here is delegated to the executive and the Board of Health through Mass General Law. So, you know, it's not actually something that we as a council can do, which is um, I, what was the intent. Thank you. Thank you. Point of information, Mr. President. Point of information, Councilor Marks. So, so a, a very similar paper has been in subcommittee for eight months, Mr. President. You are correct. Eight months. The moratorium ended, I believe, on October 18th in Massachusetts. I may be off on that, but uh, I, you thought, are correct. I, I thought I read on October 18th. So it's been two months, Mr. President, that the subcommittee could have met. Correct. Two months. You are correct. We, we met uh, when the paper was uh, sent to subcommittee on April 7th, and we met on subcommittee two weeks later. That's how quickly it happened, Mr. President. Yes. We met on April 22nd. So if this was an emergency, Mr. President, on October 18th, we should have had a meeting the following week. I would agree. To yeah, go over the absolutely. paper that was in subcommittee. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not an emergency, Mr. President, but I just think this is a real roundabout way of getting something done. And if people truly want to get something done, then that's act, Mr. President. As I mentioned earlier, we got the housing stability hotline that we mentioned eight months ago. Eight months ago, that would be a, a real use in this community. Correct. We mentioned about the Housing Stability Task Force, another real use. And we heard from one of the speakers that hasn't met since, since May, Mr. President. So we're missing a lot of opportunity to move forward on items, Mr. President. And I think some people are spinning their wheels in the wrong direction. So I'm more than happy, Mr. President, to move issues forward. But we have to do it in a way that makes sense, Mr. President. Thank you. You are correct. Thank Mr. you, President, Councilor Marks. Point of information. Point of information, Councilor Beers. We did act on October 13th, asking the state to reinstate the moratorium. So we did take action then. And I would be glad if my counselors are available to meet at the earliest opportunity uh, next week, if they're available. Um, you know, uh, I haven't heard. Councilor Beers, I, like I said before, I would encourage you to uh, set up a. It's been eight months, Mr. President. Yes. Eight months. So. I you know, if we want to look to see where maybe something uh, didn't get followed through, it's with that paper and those issues that were before the subcommittee, Mr. President, mm -hmm. because even if the moratorium was on place, you could still work at some point, it's going to end, and you could still work to that end point, Mr. President. You are and, correct. And that didn't happen. There was As no planning, no follow-up meetings, Mr. President, and, you know, maybe that's where the ball was dropped. Well, actually, I think, uh, Councillor Marks, I've been following up, trying to get responses to the resolutions that we put forward so that we could have another meeting. They haven't been forthcoming. I'd be happy to have another meeting at the earliest opportunity. Well, you should have been yelling from the highest mountain if that hasn't happened in eight months, because this is an emergency. Mr. I work with, Mr. President, I work with homeless families on a daily basis. I know you do. On a daily basis, mm -hmm. trying to get homeless families and homeless individuals into permanent housing. So I know what the need is. I know what the demand is, Mr. President. So I see it on a daily basis. If this is an emergency, we should have acted over the last eight months, Mr. President, and it is an emergency. Thank you. Council yeah. Pierce, I would, like I said before, I would encourage you to set up that subcommittee oh, meeting. I hear you, Council President. As soon President. as possible, and um, I think then uh, hopefully you can make some progress and move forward. I think everybody wants to move forward on this. I just would say I think the legislative record and the items put forward reflect that at multiple points, not only has the council had resolutions before it, but has taken action. So I just want to thank you, Councilor. Make Pierre. that point. 
Okay, we have a number of residents that's like to speak. We have um, Thane H. Uh, yeah. Name and address for the record, please. Hello, yeah, my name is Thane Hill. I live at 14 Newburn Avenue in South Medford. Um, I can't speak to all the procedural uh, worries, but I can speak from someone who organizes with tenants um, and knows people who have been evicted and who have gotten notices to quit. And I want to just speak to the fact that while we're talking about the urgency, there are, there's also been people raising the concern of like, of, of homeowners, of landlords. And I think if we're going to have a just and equal system here, we have to look after the people most in need first. And that is, in this case, the tenants as people who are being evicted the in my opinion the crucial difference between the worries of someone with a mortgage and someone with um, like with the worries of being evicted immediately is that they'll lose their homes and it's devastating and i don't think people really are speaking to that just from my experience especially like i can't speak to all the procedural uh, like how that how it has to go to vote but i think it really is urgent and i think i want people to keep pushing that so i would urge that the city council uh does resolve uh sorry i don't know the specific terminology but urges the city administration to have an eviction moratorium i think it's crucial thank you very much steve schnapp uh, Steve, name and address for the record, please. My name is Steve Schnapp. I live at 36 uh, Hillside Ave in Medford Square. Uh, I'm a homeowner. Uh, I support this eviction moratorium. I actually have a question, Mr. President, for you, the council, or anyone else who can answer it. How many uh, families or individuals have been evicted since uh, the pandemic began in Medford? Does anyone have that number in front of them? I, I do not. I am personally aware of 12 ongoing cases. I have been trying to get that information, but have been unsuccessful. Okay, so, so you have not, Council Bears, I apologize. I, with the heater on, I can't hear you. Did you say you I said that I'm personally aware of about a dozen cases. Right. I've been trying to get the specific information for weeks and have, you know, I've been looking through various datas to try to get a specific number, but have not been successful. Okay. So even with uh, a moratorium during that period, 12 families have been evicted. Uh, ongoing cases, Steve. I don't okay. know that they've actually been removed from their homes. But they're under the threat of eviction. And I, and I think, uh, Mr. President, that this is a, a situation that demands uh, action. Nope. I agree. And, and we all agree uh, with you. We I'm, all agree. I'm hoping the, the council will take action at the soonest possible yeah. moment. Thank you. We're all in agreement. That, thank you, Mr. Schnapp. Thank you. We, we are all in agreement. This is uh, something that needs to be dealt with immediately. Thank you. Let's see. Uh, we have um, Diane Sullivan. Name and address for the record, Diane. You have three minutes. Hi. Thank you. Diane Sullivan, Jerome Street, West Medford. Um, just want to, you know, sort of shout out in support. And I think, you know, it's great to know that we're all in agreement that this is an emergency and demands our immediate attention. Um, 
understanding, you know, the the uh, sort of, I guess, pushback on the procedure. Okay, like, let's get on to these next steps, right? Um, but I do want to um, really just echo um, something that Kit Collins referred to around the narrative. Um, and I think, you know, we all know that Medford has been identified as a, you know, an unwelcoming community in terms of a rental market, right? We have the study from Suffolk that shows this. Um, and it's also, you know, it will be, it's been demonstrated in the work around the housing production plan. Um, so I just feel strongly that we need to make a statement as a community. Um, and I understand this rests with the administration. And then I think counselors, um, you know, the, your community is hearing you. Um, there's never a, a bad time to have this conversation in a crisis. So I appreciate that um, we, you know, we as a community have been, been given the grace of A, the education, right? Um, you know, on how to best engage. Um, and B, just the fact that we have the space to have this conversation because this crisis, while it's happening right now, it's going to continue to happen and there will be a lag effect. So even as some folks in the economy start to see a turnaround, hopefully, um, there are others who will be left behind. And we know that disproportionately in terms of poverty and impacts of hunger and homelessness, um, that, that burden falls largely, it, very disproportionately on communities of color. Um, so we really need to acknowledge that. So I guess I, I'm saying all of this to say that we've got resources um, and we've got intent and we need to match all of this. Um, you know, I've done eviction prevention work, being in the courthouses and negotiating with tenants and landlords where when we walk away from the situation, it's a win-win. And it's a win for the city because we maintain that economic, um, you know, sort of addition to the local economy that, that rentals can bring. So, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion. I appreciate what the counselors are saying around procedure, um, but it's, you know, we all recognize it's time to work. So I think I'm most encouraged by hearing in the affirmation that this is an emergency and we all have a role to play. So um, I appreciate your time and consideration. Thank you, Diane. Let's see, we have uh, Jess Farrell, name and address for the record. You have three minutes. Hi, uh, Jess Farrell, 29 Martin Street. Um, yes, I support the eviction moratorium and um, I just wanted to say that there are studies out there that show that communities who let their moratoriums lapse actually have higher mortality rates um, and all kinds of things during COVID. So I'm sure that you've all looked into that sort of uh, science and the research that's been done, so I won't belabor it too much, but I just wanted to um, state my, uh, my support for this. Um, also, uh, in just a few hours, a petition um, has been circulated to support this moratorium and has gotten over 100 signatures. So I think the community is like really behind this and would like to see the Medford city government lead um, on this uh, as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jess. Mr. President. Uh, Mr. President, if I could, sorry. Oh, Councilor Morrell, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I just wanted to share, uh, to, to address Mr. Schnapp's question, I did have uh, someone just send me a Tableau um, visualization, and it, uh, the note is that there are currently 50 court cases in Medford related to non-payment of rent. To address that uh, request for that number. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. 
see um, Antoinette Hughley. Uh, name and address for the record, please. You have three minutes. Hi, my name is Antoinette Hughley. I currently reside at 53 Fellsway West, uh, the Alpha Management Apartments. Um, I am wanting to, well, actually, I wanted to speak out because I was one of those people who were faced with a 48-hour eviction um, this month. I was able to fight that due to the CDC being in place. I can tell you that without that, I would have been homeless and um, basically, you know, financial uh, support or organizations um, are put in place. But with my situation, it would kind of be hard for me to even accept or even um, take advantage of that due to me uh, even having court on the 30th of this month. So. Um, I'm definitely in agreement with the CDC, um, I'm sorry, with the uh, eviction moratorium being in place. And um, I just wanted to express uh, the situation that I'm currently going through. Um, so that would be a big help to me in the situation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we have uh, Doug McKeon, uh, name and address for the record. You have three minutes, Doug. Hi, my name is Doug McEwen. My address is 136 Summer Street, Medford. All right, uh, so I'm in support of the eviction moratorium. Thane Hale, Mary Stathos have talked to various reasons why. I would like to share my personal experience during the pandemic. I'm a massage therapist who's been employed, unemployed since March. I'm six months behind on back rent. I can't work because my housemates have comorbidities and I frankly don't want them to die. I don't qualify for IRMA, RAFT, or ABCD because household hold, uh, the household income exceeds requirements. Earlier this month, I got shots of a bone marrow stimulant for a week to sell my bodily fluids for 1K. That is how I've been making ends meet. And I'm still one of the lucky ones. I have three gamefully employed roommates, and my landlord is not insane enough to raise my rent. If any of these support structures fail, Kidneys and livers run for $150,000, which I know for no reason. The federal government is a circus, Baker is a joke the state played on itself, and a blade is hanging above my head. Please have mercy on the community and the people who are worse off than I am. I yield my time. Thank you, Doug. Okay, um, any other, would anybody else like to speak? Oh, uh, let's see, Matt. There you go. Matt, name and address for the record, please. You have three minutes, Matthew. John, you know, I, I think I actually have 10 minutes. That's what the rule says, just like everybody else. If you want to change the rules, I think you need a supermajority, which would be well, five yeah, to seven Matthew, votes of the council during the meeting to temporarily change the rules. Uh, but anyway, Matthew, um, if, if, I would if, like to know if you, I would like to know if you have the language of the bill that's currently in a subcommittee, the one that conflicts with this one. It's basically almost the same thing that uh, was uh, mentioned tonight. Okay, so this has been an issue that's come up previously about what, what exactly the council is doing. If it's only calling on the mayor to take a position or if it's actually believes that it has the authority to actually pass some legislation. Is, is, it, is it the case that what we're discussing and what's actually in the subcommittee is just a shared resolution, just making a recommendation upon the mayor? It's a recommendation be resolved by the Memphis City Council that the city administration implement an eviction and moratorium to protect 
Medford residents during the severe COVID-19 surge this winter. Yeah, I, I've read it, but I'm asking concretely, concretely, what is this calling for? Because it, what, something that was discussed previously in this meeting is this idea that the mayor needs to be lobbied harder by residents. So, and, and that, uh, you know, Council Bears has said that he's made many, many calls to the mayor's office. Um, so concretely, concretely, what is this calling for? Is it just calling upon the mayor to make a decree or does this council believe that it can vote and have a moratorium uh, on subcommittee? The Massachusetts general law delegates authority around this matter to the Board of Health and the mayor's office. Okay, so this, this resolution is just urgent. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Councilor Bears did confirm this. It's just calling on the council in this point of emergency to we agree, we agree and we're asking for the mayor to put a moratorium as soon as possible. Is that correct? That was my intent. Okay, and, and so you're saying that it's in the subcommittee, right? And so basically, you know, this, this council, they may say that something's stuck in subcommittee or there's a problem with scheduling, but every single one of these councilors can say, I pledge, I pledge to try to organize that meeting as soon as possible. I pledge to not create drama about this and, you know, pettiness and posturing. And I promise that I will vote on this resolution in subcommittee. Is that correct? I promise that once this gets out of subcommittee, I will vote in support of it. Is that correct? Is that within the counselor's, is, is that within counselor's ability this evening to make that kind of a pledge? No, basically, the, the, the paper's in subcommittee. The council has to schedule a meeting to actually move it out of subcommittee, which uh, from what it sounds like, it's- he's That's said, all correct. That's all been covered. Yes. I'm asking, I, can all the counselors, can they say, I pledge to vote for that? Once it comes out of subcommittee, I pledge to vote for it. I know I can't do anything tonight because I'm in subcommittee, but I understand the gravity of this. I understand the emergency, and I want to do as much as I can as yes. quickly as possible. Can the counselors actually do that? Can they state, I am committed to this? Matt, thank you very much. Matthew, if a council wants to state that they're in favor of it, by all means, they can, okay? Then your answer is yes. Your answer is yes. This whole body can say, yes, I'm committed to this and I will vote for it. Matthew, thank you for your time. Any other questions from uh, the public that would uh, like to speak on this issue? We have one more person. Christopher, name and address for the record, please. You have three minutes. Uh, my name is Chris Briota. I'm at 20 Mystic River Road. And I just wanted to speak in uh, support of the eviction moratorium. I think it's an important tool in our present humanitarian and public health emergency. It would help protect our most vulnerable neighbors and also protect the health of our community. Uh, and furthermore, I'm a homeowner and homeowners and especially landlords make a choice to invest in real estate and there's risk in that. I would support whatever the city thinks it can do to help homeowners and landlords hold on to their homes in this emergency, but to use their exposure to a volatile market as a counterexample for why we can't help renters is a distraction. Furthermore, as a member of this community, I'm uninterested in Councillor Marx's protestations that eight months of inaction on the prior motion allows us to punt on responding to this emergency tonight. Okay. And I yield my time. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Will Navar, name and address for the record, please. 
William Navarre, 108 Medford Street, apartment 1B. Uh, um, given that it sounds like most of the council um, supports the substance of this motion, I, I was sort of, and building off of, of what Matthew suggested, I was sort of thinking that, that it might be smart to advise uh, uh, Jess, who mentioned a uh, petition, to get that to the counselors so they might be able to voice their support publicly without having to go through the procedures um, uh, uh, required by the council rules, which of course in this situation happened to be blocking what everybody agrees is extremely important. And since it's a symbolic motion anyway, I think that this particular petition could be a useful tool in order to do an end run around the council rules and allow the um, members of the council to um, make that opinion known to the mayor that way. Uh, so I hope, I hope uh, Jess will consider following up with the council uh, with that petition so they, they're able to decide that if they so choose. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Okay. Okay, I don't see any of the hands. Clerk, uh, do you see any of the hands up? Okay. I want to thank everyone for their patience and for uh, participating in the um, public participation section of our meeting tonight. If I'm correct, we have records. Okay. Mr. President. Before we, before we do Vice the records. Vice President Carviello. Before we do the records, um, I'd like to thank you for your leadership over the last two years. Thank you. And uh, it's been a, a difficult, uh, this year's been a very, very difficult one for you. Uh, so again, um, I want to thank you for your leadership over the last two years and I hope I can uh, hold up to the same high standards that you've uh, uh, done over this time. Vice President so I thank Carviello. you uh, and uh, good work. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and actually, you know, I, I want to thank uh, Mr. F Mr. President. Oh, yes, Carl, Scott Pelling. I think that uh, tonight's a good example. I think that uh, that the pressure that the president's put under when everybody feels so passionate about something that, um, in essence, we all agree on. It's just the presentation of it, and sometimes the uh, protocol that needs to be followed by this body that not everybody understands. So it's tough to stand up there. I know that um, we butted heads and, and uh, due respect, uh, it's a tough position, but I want to applaud, um, applaud what, you, what you've done. And uh, it's been uh, two years. So again, thank you and uh, appreciate the, 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 uh, the lack of hair now that you have due to this position. So. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, th thank you, Council Scott Pelley. I want to thank all my councilors. Uh, this is uh, my last uh, meeting as president, and uh, in January I'll be down on the floor here. And I want to thank uh, uh, President-elect Caviello and Vice President-elect Knight. Uh, I want to wish them well uh, next year. And uh, I want to thank all my councilors for all their hard work and uh, dedication to the city. Um, it has been uh, it's been two years, and um, there's been a lot of hard work here. It's funny, I was looking at the meetings today, and uh, today we had a, this is our 38th meeting. Tonight was our 50th Committee of the Whole. 
10 subcommittee meetings. It takes you to about 98 meetings this calendar year. And we don't meet a good chunk in the summer. So I know, um, you know, uh, there's been a lot of weeks where we've met Tuesday night, Wednesday night, sometimes Thursday night. Um, and I know that's a lot of time away from your families. And uh, I thank you for your dedication, uh, your hard work. And um, like I said, I um, look forward to being down on the floor and being able to participate more. And uh, I want to thank you for all your hard work and dedication. So thank you so much. So we have the records. The records are, let's see, the table records of the meeting in December 8, 2020 were passed to Vice President Carviello. Vice President Carviello, how did you find those records? Mr. President, I found the, I found the records to be accurate and precise and motion for approval. Thank you, Vice President Carviello. On the motion of Vice President Carviello, seconded by Councilor Knight. Clerk Herdeby, please call the roll. Councilor Bears. Yes. Vice President Carviello. Yes. Councilor Knight. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morell. Yes. Councilor Scarpelli. Yes. President Falco. Yes. Seven in the affirmative, zero in the negative. The records have been passed. President? Yes. Councilor Marks. Just, uh, just a birthday announcement. Absolutely. Uh, a longtime friend, Patty Silva, is uh, celebrating yes, her 91st birthday. 91 years old, young, Mr. President. And um, she's a tremendous woman. She gets on the bus almost daily. It goes to Davis Square, uh, gets out there, has her lunch, comes back on the bus. Uh, she's a tremendous woman, a tremendous mother, wife, and uh, I wish her well, and I wish her many more birthdays to follow. Thank you, Councilor Marks, and happy birthday to Mrs. Silva. Okay, the records of the meeting in December 15, 2020 were passed to Councilor Knight. Councilor Knight, how did you find those records? Table. Table? Table. I'm sorry. <laughs> On the motion of Council Knight to table those records, seconded by Vice President Carviello. Clerk Ernabies, please call the roll. Council Bears. Yes. Vice President Carviello. Yes. Council Knight. Yes. Council Marks. Yes. Council Morell. Yes. Council Scarpelli. Yes. President Falco. Yes. Seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. On the motion of Vice President Carviello to adjourn the meeting, actually before we adjourn, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, we wish everyone a happy and safe 2021. Mr. Vice President, President Carviello. if I could take a moment to thank all the residents in this community who've come out to support all the nonprofit organizations yes. uh, with gifts, food, and everything. Uh, uh, in, you know, in my 30 years of doing community work, I've always found that people come out more and when times are tough than, than, than when times are good. And I say, uh, you know, there's the Rotary, the Kiwanis, uh, the Family Network, uh, all, all, these, all these organizations, well, they put food, they, they, they put a lot of time and effort into making sure that a lot of families, uh, Medford families, were taken care of this year with toys and all kinds of essentials. So uh, again, thank you to all the residents who came out and, and supported everybody to make sure that everybody in this community has a good uh, Christmas. So again, thank you, thank you to everybody. Thank you, and happy holidays to everyone. On the motion of Vice President Merry Carviello. Christmas. Seconded by Council Knight to adjourn the meeting. Clerk Herdebees, please call the roll. Council Bears. Yes. Vice President Carviello. Yes. Council Knight. Yes. Council Marks. Yes. Council Morell. Yes. Councilor Scarpelli. Yes. President Falco. Yes. 
Meeting adjourned. Good night. Be safe and healthy.